can wear any Halloween costume you want to. But you know and I know that you're only half the man that I am. And I have half the brain that you do. Yes, it is the show that really does have half the brain that you do. Hello, everybody. My name is Rory McNamara, welcoming you to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are looking at World Championship Wrestling for November 1999. Two other shows for you this month, looking at the World Wrestling Federation, their Survivor Series pay-per-view, and ECW's November to remember. All the major plugs I'll do at the end of this recording, but just to let you know now, there is still time to get in your questions for our special mailbag Q&A episode. Anything you wanted to know about us and pro wrestling, and maybe not pro wrestling, but keep it clean, eh? Send us questions on Twitter and on Facebook, and we will get them answered. Hopefully looking to put that show up round about Christmas time. But very little in the way of festive cheer at the moment, but we are looking at World Championship Wrestling in November 1999. I've cornered Eric Landstrom for this one. Yes, you have. Happy to be here, I guess. Well said. And for the first time since January 1995 on the WCW show, I've hit the reviving elbow on Chris Lacey. We all know the only reason I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. And we will get to that very shortly. So let's hop in the time machine. There's no escape afterwards for the next two hours and see what World Championship Wrestling has in store for us 20 years ago this very month, bro. Okay, Brett, have it your way. Yes, so virtually every month on this show since December of 1997, we have told you that Brett's heart has been misused, wasted, etc., etc. Well, he has finally, and I do mean finally, has been crowned the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, winning a 32-man tournament, what a mess that was, more later, finally defeating Chris Benoit in the final at the Mayhem pay-per-view. I wish I could say it was a lot cleaner than that, but there was interference. There was all sorts of bells and whistles going on because, of course, there was. But Brett has finally got there, and it looks as though, as we will be discussing later in the show, he'll be facing Bill Goldberg, defending that belt at Starcade. The rest of the Mayhem pay-per-view, appropriately named, you might say. We'll get to that shortly, too. None of us can wait. New creative team member. That's a good idea. He said, he said, that's a good idea. He said, yes, everybody get used to puns like that, because although Vince Russo is still very much the man in charge, fixed grin, uh, a new addition to the creative team joined with WCW this month by the name of Bob Mould. Yes, that's Bob Mould, the former singer in Husker Du and Sugar and Fortuna, very popular, at least in this household, solo career. Uh, a long-standing pro wrestling fan. He has bemused interviewers worldwide over the last 20 years by dropping references to it. And now he gets to write a little bit of stuff as well. Uh, he has currently been tutored by Jimmy Hart over the last few weeks. But uh, he's going to be working with Vince Russo very closely from next month onwards. And if that don't change your mind, then nothing will. See, I told you. Uh, Chris, you might have seen this as well. This news was actually mentioned in Kerrang! magazine here in the UK a couple of weeks ago. Uh, for those who don't know, Kerrang! is the main, if you want to call it that, rock and metal weekly music magazine. They made their news section. And what picture did they use to illustrate Bob Mould joining WCW? Why? What else could it be but Shawn Michaels versus Tito Santana from WrestleMania 8? No, you know. Can't keep up to date with everything in the world. He paid me back in scorn, baby. 
fair. I say when I write these things, everybody, and I send everyone the news headlines, I expect you know, what Eric gave you there. I expect that. So when I write a song and people don't sing it, and I've, Eric has given us the perfect impression there. Well done, my friend. Yeah, Dusty Rose was fired from WCW at the start of the month. And I should tell you, this very much was a real firing. You could be forgiven for asking these days, but yes, he has gone. Vince Russo, and expect to hear his name 10 million more times over the next two hours, wanted Dusty and Dustin Rose to do an angle where Dustin would publicly criticise Dusty for what he believes were his real-life shortcomings as a father. You know, like we did on another television programme two and a half years ago. Dusty this time was not comfortable with it, and he apparently walked or was fired, depending on who you really talk to. On the topic of Dustin Rhodes, if you remember last month, we made reference to the seven gimmick. Taken two months just to prepare his entrance in which he floats to the ring. On the November 8th Nitro, he did that. Then, of course, he denounced the gimmick and the Goldust gimmick as being lame crap, because that's what Vince Russo does. Because Dusty Rhodes has gone. Some say that he is in good spirits and is thrilled to be out of WCW, baby. It's the size of the fight in the cock. (laughs) I'm just going to pause for effect there. I am, of course, talking about Bill Goldberg's opposition to cockfighting. What else am I talking about? Yes, uh, Goldberg is getting a lot of mainstream publicity for his stand against cockfights in Oklahoma. And yes, for much of the mainstream media, cockfighting and pro wrestling share the same (sighs) rung on the ladder, along with bear baiting. Let's say that. Uh, He sent a letter to Circle of Hell. Very much so. He sent a letter to Governor Frank Keating asking him to support the Humane Society of the United States effort to ban cockfighting in Oklahoma. And I quote, and you've got to imagine this in Goldberg's promo voice, cockfighting is nothing less than animal cruelty, putting knives or gaffs on birds' legs, placing them in a pit and forcing them to continue to fight to the death for the mere amusement of spectators is wrong. It is apparent that this campaign will shine a national media spotlight on Oklahoma largely because it seems incomprehensible to so many people that cockfighting would be legal in any jurisdiction in our nation. I'm reliably informed that Oklahoma is one of only three states that still allows cockfighting. Has Buff been feeling the bang? Uh, Yes, Buff Bagwell and Dallas Page got into... uh, Some say it was a shoot, but some say they worked a backstage argument. It's about 70-30, but it's definitely worth reporting. Uh, Page showed up at an edition of Nitro hours before the show went on the air and confronted Bagwell inside the Pepsi arena, accused him in front of very many people of having an affair with his wife, Kimberly, while he was away shooting the Ready to Rumble movie. Uh, Page gave Bagwell a very real slap right across the head. Uh, the fight escalated, but bystanders quickly stepped in and separated them. Eyewitnesses claimed that Page chewed out Kimberly in front of everyone in the arena, calling her a whore. Uh, as I say, this is where the 70-30 breakdown comes in. Some wrestlers who saw the incident say it looked to be real, but others strongly believe the fight was a work, although it may have been inspired by legit heat between the two regarding Kimberly. Page is, of course, claiming the fight was a shoot because he won, but there is a possibility the incident might be turned into an on-camera feud. Neutralized the bodyguard, and now they trip up 
Get the referee in there, holding one, two, three. He got it. So, what did you hear just there? Chris Lazy is going to help explain. Ten minutes into the first Nitro of the month, I received a text message from Mr. Lacey asking me, telling me, <laughs> that he wanted to be on the WCW show this month, which rather surprised me. Over the, next, over the next four weeks, I received 5,000 more text messages from Chris Lacey asking or telling me that he did not want to be on the WCW show this month. But I have to accept his first answer. <laughs> so, Chris, the sirens singing you to shipwreck were the misfits. <laughs> Tell us about them. Tell us who they are and tell us how WCW have used them over the last few months. After, so, over the <clears throat> month or so. So we have the the originators of horror punk, the misfits, obviously not in their original guys, as we don't have Danzig with them anymore. But the new incarnation of the misfits, Jerry only Doyle von Frankenstein, Dr. Chud and Michael Graves. Going with the obvious person here, Vampiro. And bringing just anarchic punk rock with a penchant for skulls and turning people into a Martian and breeding hate. And surprisingly, actually getting in the ring. They're not just here like the ICP or like how other people have been with obviously Kiss turning up and, you know, Mega Dave turning up and just playing his song. They're actually involved in the action um obviously the first week that they turn up it's in a match between vampire and berlin or as i quoted it the misfits versus ramstein and very good really sort of did get into it um surprising that it's jerry that's the one getting in the ring and not doyle because doyle's the bigger one of the two brothers and looks more like he should be a wrestler dr chud and michael graves i don't think they really know what's going on but Obviously, Jerry and and Doyle very much are happy to be there. Um, you know, it's a return to to form for the Misfits recently with an amazing album, Famous Monsters, and it's great to see them here. And it just pleases me because I fucking love the Misfits. And how do you think uh, Jerry Only has looked in the ring this month? Fairly competent, I would say. Yeah, he's you know. Obviously, when they're doing the attacking stuff, it is, you know, very basic, you know, moves. But he took, obviously, we'll go, obviously, later on in the month um, when Dr. Death turns up. He takes that Oklahoma stampede really fucking well. Yes. He holds his own in that cage match against Dr. Death at the end of the month. It's like, it seems as though they, they were fucking born to do this. I know, I do know that both Doyle and only were massive wrestling fans as kids uh, used to go to the fed because they're from Jersey. So they'd, they'd go to any sort of fed shows that were in the area. So they, they were there during it. But yeah, I, I'm just happy to pick in shit with the misfits being about. I like this. <laughs> uh, I suggest everybody buries the answer in aspic. The words, I like this to finish Chris Lacey's answer there. You might not be hearing that too often over the next two hours. Eric, I'll just pivot to you on this one briefly. So the Misfits have made an impression on our correspondent here and some of the fans as well, maybe. Uh, this is yet another example, although maybe a more successful one, of WCW bringing in bands. As Chris mentioned there, we've had Megadeth playing live. We've had Kiss playing live in the Kiss Demon. We've had ICP doing stuff. And what do you think of World Championship Wrestling bringing these people in? Certainly not bringing them in on the cheap. 
but not really getting the ratings response I think they're looking for. I have a question. Do the Misfits have fans who travel? Um, yeah, they have a massive cult following, uh, thanks to Metallica basically putting them on Garage Inc. too. Oh, I got something to so say. Yeah, so they've, they've got I'll stop this, this, massive, <laughs> this massive following that I think if if people know that the Misfits are going to be at a show they're at, you're going to get people that are going to go there to see them. The problem is with with WCW booking, which is something that I was going to bring up later as an, as an overall, because everything's so fucking sporadic and nothing lasts more than five minutes. Are you going to put your hand in your pocket, go, oh, we'll see the Misfits for two and a half minutes, three minutes? Right. Well, I, is that enough? I, I just wonder how any of this moves the needle for WCW. Uh, we've, I mean, it's kind of like, okay, we're going to try it once. We're going to bring in Kiss. We're going to try to pop a rating. Kiss is a huge global band. What For whatever your personal opinion uh, is of Kiss, and if it's that they stink, you're absolutely correct. But they're popular. So I understand trying to do that. And I, I understand trying to do it with Master P because he's this huge global phenomenon, and he has a completely different reach and a completely different market than WCW. And that's a young fan base, a young, untapped-into fan base following Master P that is is willing to spend money. But we keep seeing it, and we keep trying it, and no offense to the Misfits and no offense to Dave Mustaine, but uh, Kiss all, and Master... All offense to Mustaine. You can offend Dave Mustaine right. all you like, trust me. Okay. So he all all offense to... Yeah, I'm going to get a fucking song written about me, so I'm just going <laughs> to say with no offense to Dave Mustaine and no offense to the, mistress, uh, the, the, the Misfits. Um, Kiss and Master P, they aren't in terms of a, a general reach in population. So we're trying this celebrity outreach program with a declining, with celebrities who have declining reach. And we're trying to reach into these ever shrinking niche markets. And the Misfits are, are great from what I saw about them. And I never heard of them or really even, I've heard of them, but, you know, I did a little bit of research just for the show to have some idea. And yeah, it's creative stuff. And they have, I understand why they're so popular, but like, if Master P and Metallic or and 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 Kiss aren't moving the needle, then the Misfits aren't moving the needle either. I just think it's pissing away more money and taking away from storylines. And the other thing is, by the 15th or, or I'm sorry, by by Mayhem, the middle of the month, these guys were regulated to being involved in breaking up backstage brawls. Like that's in 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 two weeks they went from being this like yeah. hit featured program to breaking up a backstage brawl. So what's the point? Like, I just don't get it. Yeah, that's my concern as well. I mean, they're still on the roster as of the end of this month, so we might be seeing them then again. But that does feel like a bit of a waste to me. But as we will talk about extensively throughout the rest of this podcast, people not being given roles in which play to their strengths is how it goes in World Championship Wrestling these days for a very obvious reason. One thing I will say, Vampiro wearing the Misfit shirt does not carry it off as well as Cliff Burton did, Chris. I'm sure you'll agree on that one. But that is true. But I will say the one thing I did like with Vampiro was he changed, after the first week, he changed up his, his face paint to go more Fiend. He is clearly a member of the Fiend Club. <clears throat> Come on, sweet death. One last caress. World Championship Wrestling. And what's he doing here? Well, that. Thank you, Minneapolis. 
for your warm and kind hospitality. Now, even though I'm a promoter, and may I add the most powerful man in sports entertainment today, you can rest assured that everything I do, I do for you, the fans. Yes, it's true, and I'm a very knowledgeable man. That's why they call me. Single-handedly, I built this sports entertainment. What's that? Don't call me that. I'm not that. You people are that. Unlike billionaire Ted, I didn't buy my way to the top. No, I borrowed money. That's right, I borrowed money and I stepped on everybody on my way to the top. Now, of course, because of a little stock option, I myself now am a billionaire. <laughs> and I single-handedly put everyone out of business till I was the only show in town. I own the show. However, if you ask me straight up, I categorically will deny the acquisitions that I've got anything going on. What's that? As I said before, I'm not that you people are. <laughs> so that expert impression you heard right there, you could barely tell the join, could you? Was actually Kevin Nash <gasps> impersonating. <clears throat> well, you know who he was impersonating, maybe just about going under the guise of the promoter, heavily done up in whatever it was. He looked more like Alexi Laylas than Vince McMahon to me, but there you go. And this was just one of many examples this month of the Outsiders really just dicking around. The next week, he was the Grand Wizard, because that's a, re- a reference you want to... No, excuse me. Again. He was the Grand Wizard, because that's a reference for November 1999, isn't it? The week after that, he was done up as Sid, although that did give us the immortal quote you heard at the beginning of this show. They seem to be getting a little more serious towards the end of the month, but with this, these guys, who really knows? Eric, I'll pivot to you on The Outsiders to start us off. They just don't care, do they? I just don't want them on my television screen anymore. I was such a big Diesel fan, and I know, right, whatever. I don't care what you think about that. I was a big Diesel fan, and I was an even bigger Razor Ramon fan. And then it was really cool when they came over to WCW because then it's like, oh, these two guys who are obviously in, in Hall's case, like an awesome worker, hit heel, face, tweener, whatever. And then a Nash is like Nash is a serviceable main event big man. And there aren't that many, although there are currently several in WCW that I would argue are better than Nash. But still, he's a serviceable main event big man who can cut a promo. No problem. 
but they've just been allowed to be such wankers to use a term you guys would use for the better part of three years now. And I just, they, they make everything worse. Nobody is better off after an interaction with the outsiders. And it's like, you guys have so much potential to be guys that could be tent poles for a thriving wrestling promotion. And instead you just, you've just elected to bury everybody and everything for your own, you know, satisfaction and in jokes. And it's just like, I can't imagine how much wasted potential and wasted opportunity there's been because these two guys just can't get their shit together. And the promoter thing sucks. Pally. <laughs> Chris, when you consider what the outsiders gave us nearly three and a half years ago and you compare it to this, it's very depressing, isn't it? Yeah, well, obviously, I don't watch as much of WCW as like, you lot do. Um, but obviously, I remember when the NWA started and it was like, oh, this is fucking edgy. I remember that point, sort of like 97-ish, when there was a split between Black and White and Wolfpack. And, you know, again, it meant that Hall and Nash could be that bit more street, I use air quotes. Um, but, you know, it was fun. This just basically seems that they've been said, yeah, just basically go out and do what the fuck you want. And I'm pretty sure they were, they were there was a bar in there in the first sort of two weeks of thing there in their back room bit. They've got a bar. Are they just getting fucking pissed up and going, do you know what? No one's going to sack us, so let's just do what the fuck we want. That's just it. They are a complete law unto themselves. We talk about the inmates running the asylum. That's very true in WCW these days. Uh, these guys have been the inmates for three and a half years. Now, not even Russo, nobody would really try, could hold a candle to these idiots. And I don't like calling them idiots because I am a fan of Hall. I am a fan of Nash. I know people who have been involved in the show in the past are particularly huge fans of Scott Hall, but no matter. He's not here to defend him for him any, any, anymore. But I am still a Hall fan myself. But I see them that they're just endless backstage skits that aren't particularly funny they have very little relevance to any of the storylines if you could call them that that are going on you have them disrespecting the u.s belt in a four-way match where kevin nash holds it up just high enough for hall to grab it you have nash wearing the tv title just because he can it is utter use that word again disrespect but especially now it's always been the case but especially now there is nobody backstage who is going to stop them uh, their contracts are ironclad. They ca- can do whatever they want, and we are the ones who suffer as viewers. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure in that first episode of the month, <coughs> they're on screen for about 50-odd minutes. It seems like it. And it's just bullshit all the fucking time. It's like, oh, let's shit go back to them. Oh, they're yeah. having, a, having a beer. Oh, we go back to him. Oh, he's, he's, oh I'm going to be your promoter, pal. And then, oh, then they come out and do that bit. Then they come out again later on to do another fucking bit. And then it's like, oh, they're backstage again. Then there's, oh, them interacting with Sid. And then, oh, interacting with Sid again. It's just like, for fuck's sake. Like, really? Do we really need you that many fucking times? And Eric, the Grand Wizard, really? And who the fuck got that? Dude, that, I mean, that, that means so much. That gimmick was, was bad when it happened too right and and now you just can't do that on television like you just can't utter those two words together on television it's like it brings attention to such an offensive thing and it's so i mean i hate to get all pc but like it's so inflammatory it's awful and like dude like i have a question for both of you and we don't have to go off on this like huge side tangent but like 
I can't. So I'm going to ask it this way. Because I cannot think of it, when was the last time Hall and Nash actually were like making active contributions to the show in a way that made you want to watch it? Has it been since 1996? Listen, I didn't mind the Wolf Packs when they did the original split of yeah. the NWO. Okay. Obviously, you had you had the two factions there, but since since that got even watered down to the point where they were, no. Yeah, they had uh, their sort of feud about a year ago, but that never caught fire either. So, 96 is probably right. Oh, my God. Yeah, because because the minute Hogan did his thing, the storyline shifted. They didn't even really need to be there. You had heel Hogan with two, you know, with two up, up, upper card guys. I mean, I hate to diminish what they've done because it's, it's deteriorated into something so terrible. But, like, their shine went to Hogan pretty quickly, and they never got it back. And now they're just annoying anyway. I do wonder if, as you, you're quite right to say that, Eric, and they are still smarting about that three and a half years on, that everything was transferred to Hogan in the first week of July 1996, and that still winds them up something rotten. And now that Hogan is who knows where he is these days, he wasn't even mentioned in any of the sheets this month, by the way, that they're going to take this opportunity while they can. Like I say, especially with, I can't believe I'm calling on Hogan here to save the day, but there is nobody here to stop these two doing whatever the fuck they want. Viewership be damned. And that is no way to run a pro wrestling company. You gotta put a headset on here. You're a very good man. I appreciate everything you've done, Tony. I appreciate everything you've done, but you've always been beating. So scoot on down and let the 18 take over here. I'm here to reintroduce the world to Dr. Death, Steve Williams. This man is one of the most impressive athletes ever before seen. Four-time All-American from the great state of Oklahoma, football and wrestling. Big 8 champion, football and wrestling. Three-time Orange Bowl, one Fiesta Bowl, and a Sun Bowl. He's even wrestled the great Olympic champion, Bruce Baumgartner. Now, what are you doing here? Are you trying to call a match here? Step aside, let me no, show you how it's done. I, I, I replaced you one time. I, go, go ahead. And I replaced you too, son, so just scoot on down there. I can't believe it. It's a slugfest! It's a slugfest! Oh! Oh, look at that! Drop kick from the top rope! That's how you do it. You gotta speak in sound bites, son. You speak in sound bites, and that's all you need to do. Tony, this he's guy knows what stick. he's doing! He's got the stick! He has got the stick! Pinata! 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 Who's that? Hoovy? Is that Hoovy? Uh, yeah. Hoovy! Yeah, I think Hoovy, Pinata! Great uh, defensive lineman from Tijuana State. Oh, baloney. me. Tijuana State University. Baloney. Nobody oh, cares about those stats. Man. Nobody yeah. cares about those stats. What? Everybody loves football, son. You Everybody. know all about football. I know everything there is about football. I've done everything. I've done everything in this business. Yeah, I've yeah. been a referee. Yeah. I've set up rings. I've negotiated talent. Burn I've bridges. Booked. Yeah. I've been the greatest. I'm the greatest play-by-play man there's ever been in this business. <laughs> And if you don't believe him, ask him. Exactly, I'll tell you, son. One more thing to discuss before we get to the pay-per-view. Happy clamouring for the promoter, to be perfectly honest for you. They say imitation is the finest form of flattery, but I think we have given the lie to that in what I'm going to discuss now and what you've just heard. So, during a five-way piñata on a pole match... That just needs to fuck off. I say, Chris, that's what Mexican wrestlers do, bro. Piñatas, man. 
Now, the pinata is like the fourth worst thing we're about to talk about. <laughs> that, what does that tell you? And the fact it fell off the pole after 20 seconds is probably quite low down the pole as well. During that match, we were joined by Dr. Death Steve Williams mm-hmm, and a little buddy of his ringing any bells, wearing a black T-shirt and a cowboy hat, going by the name, as we found out the next week on the pay-per-view, of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm, hope those bells are now alarm bells. He joined us on commentary, and he did what can only be described as a terrible Jim Ross impression. Repeating words three times, talking about people's football career, etc., etc. Chris, all of that would be bad enough. Nobody who watches WCW cares about that. Nobody who watches WWF is going to switch the channel to watch a Jim Ross imitator. But even worse than all of that, they were openly and clearly mocking Jim Ross's Bell's palsy in doing so. I mean, what the fuck are we watching and listening to here? Whoever's idea this was needs to get in the fucking bin, set I... that fucking bin on fire and die. I think we all know whose idea it was. And given we know whose idea that was, I agree with you. Carry on. There was no fucking need for that. It's fucking disgusting. You know, it. yes, we all know that obviously Jim has his his, uh, uh, trademarks is what I'll call it. You know, the the shouting things a few times, you know, slobber knocker and all that stuff. But that's one thing. But to fucking go down the route of mocking him because of his illness is just fucking bang out of order. Um, you know, we'll go back to, you know, the one good thing that did happen with this dickhead is the fact that we had the Misfits beat the shit out of him and cover him in barbecue sauce at the end of the month. But I enjoy that he's, a, he's a prick. He needs to fucking die. Whoever invented or came up with that idea is a prick and needs to fucking die. Get in the bin, get on fire, fuck off. I hope you're listening. I should say who it actually was, was Ed Ferrara, who is Vince Russo's right-hand man, often seen as Vince Russo's ideas guy. Yeah, this is a prime example, isn't it? Ed Ferrara's career before joining with WWF, he may or may not have written a few episodes of Duckman, a glittering resume if ever there was one. Eric. What am I supposed to say? They made yeah. fun well, of somebody. What, 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 is, a, there, what is there to like, say? I know. They, 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 they openly mock somebody with a disability. Like, how, how like, few things are uglier than that. That's what I know. Um, it's just so hateful. And, like, okay, no kidding. But the other thing is, like, they talk about WWF so much. Like, Every segment that involves the uh, the authority and the promoter and former WWF guys and Dustin Rhodes when he did his thing, I think even, yeah, they just yep. and, and now they have a character that's based on a character who who's beloved and has never been more popular in his surprisingly long, like 20 year career in the wrestling business for a guy that is relatively young, so to speak, like Jim Ross is is the guy right now he's the bob costas and the and the um uh the Vern scully of wrestling like this guy is just the man and they're just making fun of somebody who everybody pretty much universally loves at this point or has loved depending on what incarnation it was and then they're going to make fun of his disability that he developed after his most recently like after his mother died mm. <sighs> okay so let's talk about the competition and make 
what we're putting on television so revolting while we're doing it that everybody just turns the channel anyway. Like, dude, this might be the worst thing we've ever covered on the show. Seriously. I'm struggling to think of anything worse. As I said before, go fish for morals in the pro wrestling business. But I think we plumbed new depths here. We're talking like, ocean bed stuff now. Because like even the really ugly ECW stuff, the men on women violence that I feel like I rail against every month. Like there's always a, a sad, or usually it's a satisfying payoff to that where the heel who did it gets gets their comeuppance 10 times worse than whatever they did. Except for maybe Beulah, but like that was to write her off TV altogether. There's nothing they could have done to get the you know to 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 get the win back off of this storyline. It's it's just so bad. So yeah, I think this is the worst thing, even even considering all the ECW stuff. I can only hope. I'm not sure this is true or not, but I can only hope that when your boys the misfits doused him in barbecue sauce and gave him the kicking he deserved at the end of the month, Chris, that they've realised that this is a appalling, despicable, terrible idea. And I. I've heard that that could be it for him. It's had better be. I still, I, I can't for the life of me work out what this is meant to prove. Yes, we know Jim Ross is, it goes a little bit over the top on commentary. That's why we love the guy. You know, he is the best announcer in the business for a reason. I know this is WCW show. It's not the place to talk about it. We lured him to the skies on the WWF shows and quite rightly so. But be that as it may, even if he were an appalling commentator, like, I don't know, Michael Cole level or something like that, just to pick a name out of thin air. What is this about? Much like any of the outsider stuff, nobody is going to switch. the. Nope. All you are going to do by this, I hope, is be offended. I am, you two are, and I hope our listenership are as well. I know for a fact the people who won't be touching WCW with a barge pole are too. And it's all self-inflicted. Yeah, go on, Eric. I just, you, I didn't think I made an audible noise, but I'm just thinking about this more, and I'm just the layers of it. I think I'm just making guttural sounds at this point. Um, Shivani and Jim Ross have a long story, I believe, pretty positive history. And even though there was some competition there, I don't think there's acrimony. I don't and, believe so. And Heenan and Ross, I feel like didn't, you know, I feel like they would at least there'd be enough mutual respect there. You know, best manager of all time, best one of the best commentators of all time, like. I I'm torn between I, I wish that these guys were able to just say, fuck that. There's no way we're participating in it. But on the other hand, like to watch these two esteemed, you know, people, Shivani, who's nowhere near as good as Ross and, and Heenan, who's a little bit over, the you know, over his prime now, but still two of the top four wrestling commentators in the country. Um, just having to sit there and participate in this and bury one of their colleagues. It, it's just mm, there's nothing good about this, gentlemen guttural noises all the way throughout the month if you listen closely or even not so closely to Messrs Shivani and Heenan you can tell that they are hating 98% at least of the stuff they have to call now Shivani's fake laugh isn't fooling anybody and I don't blame him Heenan's attempts to try to make sense out of this fall flat very quickly they hate what they're seeing we hate what we are seeing here as well and in this case hearing it's pro wrestling is not a medium for mockery, outright mockery, because there's no way you can do it in a respectful way. This pro wrestling isn't painted with minute enough brushstrokes for that to happen. It's not. Everything is very black and white. So 
If you have somebody who looks a little bit Jim, like Jim Ross, he's dressed like him and he talks out of the side of his mouth, then there is no gray area at all. That is just downright pure unadulterated disrespect of the worst order. It's hard for me to articulate how bad this was, quite frankly. Um, I, I can articulate it for you. It's just cunty behaviour. <laughs> cunty behaviour. As, as always, Chris, you keep it simple and make it as complex as it needs to be at the same time. Horrendous, horrendous stuff here. And whoever it was who came up with it, gee, let me think, should be fucking ashamed of himself. Maybe we'll put him on a fucking pole. <laughs> Bro. So, on that light note, shall we talk about the pay-per-view, gentlemen? Let's get into it. What could possibly go wrong? Eric, our first ever Mayhem pay-per-view, as sponsored by Electronic Arts. It's in the game. Thank you. Let's have the results, sir. Yes, uh, 12 matches in 245, so bear with me. Uh, in the opening match, in a semifinal uh, match in the WCW World Heavyweight Championship Tournament, uh, Chris Benoit defeated Jeff Jarrett. Um, Evan Courageous... Uh, obtained the cruiserweight championship by defeating the disco inferno um in the match uh, for the inaugural wcw hardcore championship norman smiley defeated brian Nobbs. um the revolution which in this incarnation was dean malenko perry saturn in asia defeated uh, the filthy animals comprised of eddie guerrero billy kidman and tory wilson uh, buff bagwell retired kurt hennig um, probably not. Um, in the other semifinal uh, match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship tournament, uh, Bret Hart defeated Sting. Uh, in a dog collar match, Vampiro defeated Berlin. Uh, Ming defeated the total package. Uh, Scott Hall uh, retained the uh, United States and World Television Championships, defeating Booker T. Although, to be fair, the current lineage of those belts is hard to follow. Um, David Flair and Kimberly Page went to a no contest. Um, Goldberg defeated Sid in an I quit match. And in the finals of the WCW World Heavyweight Championship Tournament, Bret Hart defeated Chris Benoit to capture the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Whew. Thank God for that. Good work, Eric. Good work. 12 matches. So, Chris, no World War Three this year. We got this in its stead. What did you think? I had high hopes, you know, I was like, oh, it's going to be a tournament final, you know, seeing the four people we had in, in there, I was like, you know, some decent stuff there. A lot of it has been thrown together fucking quickly because obviously the tournament taking up most of most of the TV time. So it's like, yeah, you know, this should be decent. It's my first WCW pay-per-view in a while. And all I can really say was it was all right. All right, lavishing the praise there. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's more than I was expecting. Eric, follow that. All I right. would have rather had. I, I would have rather had World War Three, any incarnation of it. Um, <laughs> that's my that's my response. Uh, come, come, friendly bomb and all that, as John Betjeman would say. Yeah. From an in-ring perspective, this show was a little bit of an improvement on what we've seen in a couple of months, but I'm sure this will shock you, dear listener. It was the booking that dragged it down. I know, you weren't expecting that, were you? Pick yourselves up off the floor, and let's go through through the pay-per-view. So I will just say, before yes. we go obviously into the into the first round of, or the semi-finals of the tournament, just a quick sort of thing on how the tournament, how we got to this point. 
<laughs> go ahead. Good luck. Why was as it's a, a, a tournament for your world title? Why was there so many fucking bullshit interference finishes? Again, we all really know the answer to that, but yeah, I, this I guy's mean, proved he but, can't look a world title tournament. Not. I was going to say, you look back at Deadly Games. That's how you do a fucking title tournament. Mm. Yeah, if only this. there was somebody else uh, here to contribute to the booking ideas. <laughs> but this is like, how many fucking matches did Creative Control come into, or fucking Jeff Jarrett come down? Ugh. And it was just like, why can't we just have? A fucking proper tournament. It's not like this guy doesn't know what he's doing, but it clearly proves that you know he was the man with the ideas, but it was someone else with a very similar first name that was the one that actually you know <laughs> had the way to do things properly. Well, you would have thought so, but we learned supposedly last month that eighty to eighty-five percent of what we saw on WWF TV was Russo only. I still don't believe that myself, but there you no. go. The sheets no. don't lie. <laughs> No, no way. You heard it here, second, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I am just going to play in Tony Schiavone's noble attempt to break down the tournament just before we start here. Yeah, just to give you a bit of a recap, 32 people tournament, mystery opponents, Medusa losing and going back in, matches turned into strap matches just because, matches turned into cage matches just because, nothing going over five minutes, and it was all complete bullshit, and we get the semifinals here. So, Tony, do your best, sir. WCW began a tournament to crown a new heavyweight champion when former champion Sting was stripped of the title after his actions on October 24th at Halloween Havoc. You've been stripped of the title. Last night you brutally attacked the WCW official. We're starting a 32-man tournament right here tonight to determine who should be the new champion. 32 wrestlers entered the tournament. Some of the first-round highlights included... A shocking win by Bret Hart over Goldberg with help from the Outsiders. The powers that be allowed Medusa to enter the tournament, and she faced Ming in the first round. Diamond Dallas Page, former two-time world heavyweight champion, was taken out of the tournament thanks to David Flair and the Probar. Kurt Hennig, fighting for his career, faced the Disco Inferno. But thanks to the appearance of Tony Marinera, Kurt Hennig prevailed. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko's first round match was a very physical cage event. Oh my God! He connected! It's over! An angry former world champion Sting took his anger out on Brian Knobb for a quick first round win. In the second round, an injured Bret the Hitman Hart survived over Perry Saturn. Scott Hall won a shocker over Sid Vicious. Mr. Hardcore screaming Norman Smiley faced Kidman in a hardcore match where Kidman, thanks to help from Brian Knobb, prevailed. Jeff Jarrett, the favorite son of the powers that be, would meet Hennig in a second round match. Although he didn't pin Hennig, Jarrett prevailed by countout. Medusa, even though she lost her first round match to Ming, was given a second chance by the powers that be, and she faced the crippler Chris Benoit. Scott Hall won his second round match, prevailing over a very game and talented Lash LaRue. The total package and Sting both advanced to the third round thanks to injuries to Diamond Dallas Page and to Ming. Only eight wrestlers remained in the third round, including Bret Hart, who survived over Billy Kidman. Jeff Jarrett defeated Buff Bagwell. Bagwell goes face first. One, two, three. He got him. Two. 
Jeff Jarrett goes on to Toronto. The crippler Chris Benoit prevailed over Scott Hall of the Outsiders. In one of the most anticipated matchups of the third round, Sting defeated the total package. You're right about being much smarter as he helps Sting go on to Toronto. The field is now set for the final four this Sunday at WCW Mayhem. Sponsored by Electronic Arts. And let's get started. So, we are in Canada for the very first time. WCW pay-per-view, the Air Canada Centre in Toronto. Tony breaks down every single match. I should like that fact, but it just shows how difficult it is to pick up and play a pay-per-view these days, if you get me. So, we open up with a tournament semi-final match. Chris Benoit versus Jeff Jarrett. Early takedown attempt by Jarrett, but that doesn't get him far. Benoit wastes no time with a Tornado DDT for a sharp two. Lovely neckbreaker also gets the same. Jarrett gets put onto the top rope and gets superplexed. I was expecting a block there. And again a near fall. Baseball slide misses, but then they get to slug it out on the outside in front of a We Want Puppy sign. There you go, Eric. WWF references, ahoy. JJ with a po- and he gets his wish. JJ with a post-assisted low blow to give him his first opening of the match. Then he rams him face first into an open chair and then the guardrail. I'm not going on another guardrail rant. I did all of that last month. Nice power slam back in for two. Vertical suplex scores the same, and we hit the near fall sequence, with Jarrett taking one of the reversals right on his head. Sleeper slapped on, he still knows it, and he works the crippler down to the mat. Benoit up at two, but he goes down to a shoulder tackle. He puts on his own sleeper, but gets jaw jacked out of it rather quickly. Heenan thinks JJ is the superior wrestler, glug, 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 as Benoit hits a choice backbreaker, and now here come the rolling Germans. And the third one gets a very close two. Here come creative control. This is unfortunate, says Tony, and he is correct. I should say, do you know what creative control's names are? Gerald. Oh, it's and Gerald and, and something. Pat- Gerald Patrick? and Patrick. Can Gerald and Patrick. <sighs> Not remotely childish. Flying body press off the top by Jarrett, but Benoit rolls through. He then reverses a sunset flip with the old Leo Burke pin for two. Belly to back, and now it's headbutt time, and he hits it. One, two, but then the CC pull him out. Okay, let's see if I've got this right. The other CC member then beats him up on the inside, and then Dustin Rhodes makes the save. The guitar gets brought into play, but Creative Control and Jarrett screw it up. A wrist lock by Benoit frees up Jarrett. Okay, for his own guitar shot, the guitar is virtually collapsed by this point, but he manages to hit it anyway, and the crippler is in the final. Creative Control and Jarrett beat him up until security see him off. Christopher, our first semi-final match, what do you think? If she was until the end a decent wrestling match. I was like, yes, we've got two guys that can actually wrestle getting a proper wrestling match. But my exact words are, good opener, but why do we have to have so much fucking ballyhoo? Just just why? Yeah, I had to go back and recheck my notes to make sure I got it. I'm still I probably did miss stuff out of the last three or four sentences there, but uh, checking it twice was enough. You know, this is meant to be a tournament for your world title. Yeah, you've got fucking creative control. You've got Dustin. You've got fucking guitar breaks, belt shots. Just piss off. <laughs> Just piss off. You're keeping it simple today, Lacey, but I think I think that's appropriate here. Eric, what do we reckon? Can I book this match? Um, uh, yeah, well, yeah, yes, you can. And okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Here's me talking to Benoit and Jarrett and the creative control guys backstage uh, approximately three minutes before this match comes on the air. 
Uh, you got 10 minutes. Uh, Benoit over with the cross face. Uh, creative control. Benoit is going to fight you off at the eight-minute mark. Ref will signal you. Everybody get out. It's not Would that have been better? It's Would not that have just been better? Stuff, is it? It would no. have been infinitely better. Like, bet, we've seen, and, and Benoit has fairly or unfairly won the Wrestler of the Year on this podcast once or twice. Um, and he's going to be in contention again this year because he's better this year than he has been the two years he's actually won it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> but, um, Chris no, no, no. It's not happening again. No <laughs> um, but then we've seen Jarrett, and Jarrett's one of the best carry guy, uh, be carried guys in the business. I mean, he's never going to lead or be the best guy in a good match, but we've seen him have really good matches with guys who can carry, like like Sean, like uh, like Razor, and 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 guys like that. Why not? If you're going to have all the other ballyhoo, why not just have a good match here? Instead, we just get two guys whose whose purposes are completely wasted. Like their actual talents go down the drain just for all this bullshit or if you're going to book bullshit in this match don't book it on every match but this is just i completely agree with Lacey, and that's going to happen a lot today because you pick two guys who think about wrestling very very similarly um and it's just too much it's too much all the time and you get numb to it and this is only the first and match. this is the first match the first fucking match right i know this is this is tame compared to what we've got over the remaining 11 matches. And the first eight, man, uh, eight minutes were really good here. Jarrett did hang with Benoit. One of those situations where it wasn't a carry job, but I did sense that Benoit was reining himself in just a little bit to make sure that Jarrett could hang. But in all fairness to Double J, he did. And I thought it was fine to good what we got here. Jarrett needs to be in there with the right person, but he will up his game when he is, and he did so on this occasion. Uh, talking about the wrestling is what a certain somebody doesn't want us to do, and he made sure in the final two minutes that we are just going to talk about all the other horse, all the other horseshit that we got until the bell and beyond it. I mean, what the fuck is Dustin Rhodes doing here? Oh God. He's not booked on the show. He's a good wrestler. He should be wrestling. I don't get it. <laughs> Too busy denouncing his gimmick because that's what the internet fans want people to do these days. No, Dustin Rose can go. Put him in a match. Fuck's sake. This is the, all we see of him today and something has no business of anything to do with. Oh, my goodness me, Rory, calm down. Only just begun 11 matches to go. Now, this was probably the second best match of the night and you're already getting heads up. Calm. Disco Inferno is interviewed by Mike Tanay. Oh, yeah, that's going to help me. The sound isn't great for this one, probably just as well. We hear, though, that $25,000 will be involved as a prize in the next match, and that that is more important to him than the Cruiserweight title. Ugh. And then Jarrett attacks him as well. But we do get the match. Disco defending against Evan Courageous. And I've got it in italics, and the money is also on the line. Oh, and his life, too. Just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> Dis Disco, though, <laughs> minor minor detail disco though is still out backstage and he gets all but dragged through the curtain by tony marinera evan ain't waiting and holds disco into the ring tony marinera joins us on commentary as some basis as some basic action kicks us off tony isn't worried about a little wrestling match gee who gave him that line i wonder but he is about disco's life oh that's nice head scissors by evan but the second one is then blocked kicks in the corner and an inverted atomic drop as inferno and medusa share a look Suplexes by Disco, and it's time for a little dance. Lovely reversal out of a Samoan drop into a rolling crucifix. He did a 180 during it by Evan for a two count. Very nice indeed. Spinning back elbow for two. Russian leg sweep by Disco, and then he is onto the second rope. Axe handle, but no dice. Leverage move puts Evan over the top, and Medusa gives her man some assistance. And then he catches DI with a drop kick. 
He gets met with knees on a splash, and after a DDT, a loud, but I think harsh, boring chant goes up. You are one tough crowd, Toronto. Medusa slaps Disco, so much for wrestling for his life, and now Marinera tries his luck with her. Fez pressed by Evan, but then he sees what's going on. Scuffle breaks out, but Disco makes for them with the chair and accidentally hits Tony. We get back in the ring, and Evan gets a crossbody for the win, the title, and the 25k, and a smooch or two with Medusa. Nice work if you can get it. Disco carries Tony to the back and looks rather perturbed about life. Eric. Uh, Once again, it's we... the guttural reactions that speak volumes, my friend. I, I, where do we start? Um, okay, we'll start here. I don't have any doubt that these two guys could put on a pretty good wrestling match. Uh, good, you know, American cruiserweight style um, wrestling match. Um, and that's just the last thing that happened here and again i know it's just you know oh old man wants old man wrestling but yeah okay so what it's better um better than this and then you have a storyline where you you involve the cruiserweight title which should be absolutely sufficient stakes for two guys of this caliber on the roster and instead it's going to be for disco inferno's life (laughs) um which seems a bit much for an underneath storyline between a guy who's been hanging around the low card for three years and a guy who's just busted into it not too long ago. Okay, but whatever. And then, again, not to feel bad for Shivani and Heenan because both of them have made probably enough money in this business to be able to retire if they get too sick of this shit. At least Heenan, probably. And they just have to sit there and listen to this twat do a really bad and super stereotypical Italian, like mobster Brooklyn <sighs> accent. It's like, oh, so you can just hear Heenan's, you know, love for this business dripping out of him. <laughs> in the spigot wide open. He, he's not alone in that either, by the way. No. And Tony Schiavone, <laughs> like Tony Schiavone, like physically looks good, but the, the spirit has completely gone out of his voice. And then the match was boring and and that's and that's a problem too because these guys should not be having a boring match i don't blame the crowd at all they didn't want to see these guys these guys didn't put on the type of match they had in the storyline is ridiculous it's bizarre world here everybody chris what did you think no one cares about the money that you owe disco just fuck off it, it's it was pointless it took time out of what other people could have had it's just just can't be fucked with that shit next not so fast what did you think of this mob angle again i can probably guess for the sake of argument let's have it this isn't the sopranos (laughs) i don't watch wrestling to watch the sopranos go away well, I like this match. So there, okay? It was fine. Just fine. Sort of second hour of Nitro, seven, eight minute, two and a half staff there, but it was fine. I don't think it was boring. I think Courageous in particular had an opportunity. Not that I think he's going to have too much of a chance to do much with that opportunity, if that makes any sense. But he took what was presented to him here. Showed some very nice stuff. I thought his reversal out of the Samoan drop, as I said in the play-by-play, was excellent. And a couple of other moves as well. But it was, hands up, overshadowed by this ludicrous storyline you just know you just know when vince russo got in through the door in the middle of october and he looked through the roster looked at all their real names because he loves that sort of thing anyway and saw he had somebody on the roster by the name of glenn gilberti you knew full well that he wanted to do a mob mafia gimmick and references to the boys being sent around as we get and i should say where this goes over the next couple of weeks a couple of guys called the marmalukes turn up and you know it 
hey boss, can I go and get a cheese sandwich? This and horse's head in his bed. Right, you know it. You know you have seen two and a half very good films about it 20 years ago. You don't need to be reminded of their existence on your pro wrestling program. And are we really supposed to believe that Disco Inferno's life is in danger? Really? I mean, again, if you're going to make that a major part of a pro wrestling angle, then you do have to go all the way with it. Otherwise, the supposed smart fans that Vince Russo caters to, they are going to brush it off and say, oh, if he doesn't really care about his life being in danger, why the hell should I? This stuff just isn't thought through. Oh, dear. So that's two matches down now. Only another 10 to go. Said power that is gives Jarrett, yes, him again, a pasting over blowing it earlier. He has the rest of the night to prove himself. Norman Smiley gets scared of loud noises, it seems, and of facing Brian Nobbs. I'm with him on that one. He comes out in full Maple Leafs hockey goalie regalia with Domi on the back. Uh, Eric, I take it he's a player. Domi, is that right? Yes, my hockey knowledge isn't all that strong, but yes, I would suspect that's uh, that's true. And where was the show held again? Toronto. Okay, so um, yeah, I, I don't know quite understand the reference. Uh, my apologies to our Canadian listeners. So the officially renamed Screaming Norman Smiley versus Brian Nobbs with Jimmy Hart for the hardcore title. And for the most part, you know the drill here. Broom handle, trash can, etc, etc. This goes on for a while before the Colonel, and yes, I'm still calling him that, throws another can in, but Norman nabs it. That and the stick do okay for him for a while. Then a ride with the hardcore wiggle. It's an exchange of trash can lids for a good long time. Well, a long time anyway, not sure about good. And we go to the back. It's still the same old show until Brian sets up a table against the wall and Norman meets it. Nobbs then takes a ride into a PlayStation banner and then normal, as my autocorrectors called him, into some boxes. And then we go towards the storeroom as the colonel throws cans of super potatoes down on top of him. They fight in the elevator and as the door opens, Jimmy hits the wrong guy with a weapon because we didn't see that in the previous match or anything. And the screaming one gets the three count and the new hardcore title. Christopher. Well, it's uh, different to what I would call hardcore. Um, this, <laughs> this this was fun. It was silly. It's the same thing that the Fed do with their hardcore title. Exactly. It, it's non it's non offensive silliness for Norman Smiley to to get the win. He he's a he's the perfect person for this being you know. As he comes out, we've seen him a few times during the month in like massively overprotective clothes, you know, whether it be in a full football uniform or in this with the hockey uniform. It's it's silly. It's a, you know the bathroom break. It's you know the comedy bit that you know I can't take any offence to it. You know it serves its purpose and in the middle of a show it's fine Eric uh, this was neither wrestling nor hardcore nor hardcore wrestling um, I, it's just like it's just so bad and it's not bad like actively bad like the stuff we've talked about before it's just it's just a bad attempt at something and it's, it's really tough to watch so and, and Brian Nobbs and Scream a Norman Smiley, come on. Um, I, I don't know. I, you have good wrestlers on your roster. Give that time. 
I did reach for my hockey almanac, and apparently, this is kind of funny, uh, Ty Domi is a uh, Toronto Maple Leafs player who is a notorious cheap shot artist and uh, has led the league in penalty minutes for some period of time. So that's ah. kind of funny. So oh, good I'll, job. I'll give them that. Yeah, good one. Good one. Even but here at the... times like these, we're going to give credit where it's due because that's what that... we do on the show. Yeah, it turns out that was the best part of the match. <laughs> yes, it was. I just say, before we went up on air, Eric was saying we need to try best we can to avoid being unremittingly negative. Not been terribly easy to do that over the previous 50 minutes, but I do think we finally found something. This was forgettable, but it was meant to be forgettable. I think, Chris, you hit the nail on the head there when you said this is just what the WWF do. Well, yeah. Uh, their hardcore title is diversionary at best uh, five or six minutes on raw the occasional pay-per-view okay when somebody else was booking wwf and he has brought that with him just because like so much other stuff it worked well there because they had they did have people on the roster as much as it became more comedic as the months took place but they did have the people on the roster who could work a pretty decent hardcore match here the whole gimmick and i think he plays it well in fairness to him is that screaming norman smiley is scared of anything basically and he has somehow turned out to be hardcore champion it's a little hokey but i can get away with it but it's just recycling old stuff yet again once more that is one of my big problems, because I don't have very many of them, really, with the power that is. He's supposed to be the real idea. Him and Ferrara, he's the he's the head honcho. Ferrara is the ideas man. Yet it's all stuff that they've done before. Like, as we get through the nitros over the next couple of weeks, like a woman being held down and having bad makeup daubed over our face, like a flag match between Canada and the United States. You very much get the picture. We recapped the Filthy Animals winning Tory's Freedom in a shark cage key on a pole match. <laughs> You're getting it yet. Between Eddie and Saturn a few weeks ago. Then Ray and Eddie getting handcuffed to a cage. Remember that. Shane doesn't mind if Asia gets involved in the match. The rest of them list a lot of what ifs. Saturn seems to be getting a little crazy when he says let's do to them what we didn't do to the dinosaurs or something. So next up is our six person tag elimination match. The Revolution, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn and Asia versus the Filthy Animals represented by Kidman, Eddie and Tory Wilson. Meaning Douglas is on commentary and that's fine by me as the animals take early control. Eddie and Malenko is our first skirmish, and the action is very good indeed, of course. Rana to the outside, and then as they brawl, Saturn hits a lovely Asai moonsault onto them both. Then Kidman dives over the top. Malenko scarpers and gets into it with a fan wearing the maple leaf. Remember that. As in the ring, it's Tori and Asia. Kidman then powerbombs Asia. As Eddie tends to Tori, though, he shoves Kidman off, allowing him to get rolled up and eliminated. He takes Guerrero to task before he eventually leaves. Guillotine leg drop to Eddie as Conan walks out on his team. That was unexplained. Asia with a vertical suplex on Eddie and the two count. Malenko in and some more fine work between these two. Awesome Rana by Eddie and that is enough to keep Dean down. So two on two here now. Saturn with a T-bone and, T-bone and here comes Asia. Beal take down for another two and she is looking good in there actually. She holds up Saturn for a sidekick though and no matter how long you've been in the business you know how that ends. She then gets frog splashed and it's one on two. Saturn with the Northern Lights for a close two count. Sleeper attempts don't go far, and nor does one by Eddie as he takes another T-bone. Dropkick blocks a springboard crossbody, and now it's Tornado DDT time by Guerrero. Two count there. But the DVD by Perry is good for the three count. Oh, no, it isn't. Douglas tells us it's a slow count about ten zillion times. 
Saturn misses an elbow, but then Eddie looks for the tag. Hmm. He then relents and hits a Rana himself, but this time it doesn't get the three. Flying body press, but Saturn rolls through it into the rings, so Eddie is out, leaving us with Saturn versus Tori. She low blows him and almost gets the win. Then she gets low blowed for the win for the revolution. Tony sees us out with the immortal words, I am assuming that that hurts. Eric. Portions of this match were very good. Uh, and that should come of no surprise with Saturn, Malenko, Guerrero, and, and Kidman. Uh, oddly, all of whom seem to be dealing with uh, injuries. Um, but I. Oh, it's just like everything else. It's like no matter how much potential a match like this could have, there's just so much gimmickry and, and ballyhoo and interference and weird stipulations and intergender with non wrestler stipulations that thrown on it's like you know sometimes i just want a hamburger and, a, and french fries i don't need peanut butter and an egg and you know chips and french fries all stacked up on this burger with a bunch of weird sauces and stuff and then poutine on the side it's like no just give me a burger and fries sometimes and just especially when you have guys like this if it's again the theme of the night and it's too much it's all too much and then just that last, it seems like there were timing issues too, because that, that segment between Eddie and Saturn there at the end just went on and on and on. And it just seems like there was no no planning or forethought to, to what they were supposed to be doing. <laughs> and then just the finish speaks for itself. You was saying nice drop of poutine there to bring our Canadian listeners back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thought about that one. Christopher. Um, I can't stand either of these groups and... No, the the parts of them are all good on their own, but I I don't get what the fucking purpose of the revolution is. Um, the only purpose I seem to get of the filthy animals is for Russo to have his obsession with you know people going around with camcorders backstage and terrible editing. I I had no in, investment in this and because of how much I hate the teams going into it, I was just like, I just can't really be be fucked with it. It was all right. You know, you could have had an awesome match between Raven or between Eddie and Saturn. Dean and Kidman could have a decent match together. I don't need to see Asia. I definitely don't need to see Tori Wilson in the ring. And it just, it then just got down to an agenda shit just for the sake of it. And I'm like, can we just fuck off with this? There's no need. And it just just made it drag more. It was just like, just let's not have this fucking gang warfare shit that has, from what I can see, obviously I've only been watching it like the last sort of month or so, but there doesn't seem to be a reason why these two hate each other or even what either of them stand for so it just seems like oh we've got we've got this uh, just throw it against the ball and do something with it dude I like think, yeah know. with all these matches it's like they understand what the gimmick is but they have no understanding of why to have the gimmick or what purpose the gimmick is supposed to serve it's just gimmick for gimmickry's sake and it's making everything so much worse yeah it's is the proverbial throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Very little. We're having cage matches for no reason. They go three minutes on editions of Nitro, for fuck's sake. It's gimmickry for the sake of it, because he doesn't know how to build to these things. 
And Chris, once again, you've also made reference to a former Federation trope. Remember the gang wars from two years ago? If we're not all still having therapy for it, one of our worst things of 97 in the awards, he's doing it again. Two rival factions just brawling with each other seemingly endlessly because they can. I don't, the filthy animals I do have a problem with, not the people in them, of course. Their in-ring work rate speaks for itself. But the animals were definitely heels in the middle of October. And even at the start of this month, when, as you've alluded to there, Chris, they were perving on Elizabeth through the keyhole in the locker room where the cameras were actually accidentally left running for two seconds. So we saw the director say, cut. <laughs> and we, we both, both inside and outside the dressing room, that happened, by the way. Somebody's getting fired there. And now the animals are just sort of gone face because there needs to be one in this feud. That's another Russo trope as well. The revolution. They, oh. Eric, you probably know this one better than me, but based on what we've seen in the last nitros of the month, they seem to be taking their name a little bit too literally as well, which quite worries me of uh, burning flags and what have you. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just uh, another, it's uh, just another completely literal interpretation of something that should have some nuance of concept. Something nuance of concept. I don't think he has it. He just sees what on a page and doesn't actually go any deeper. That's another thing he's given credit for. I think it's wrong. He takes everything so fucking literally the match was all right let's talk about the match it was okay as you would expect given some of the talents in here some fine sequences far too short they didn't get a chance to shine but they weren't going to but what they got was knowledgeable i mean eddie i think all the things eddie can do i think is rana is one of the best in the business that was gorgeous to get the pinfall on Malenko. Uh, i felt uncomfortable as a viewer when it came down to Saturn versus tory they did at least keep it brief I mean, I worried we we're going to have two or three minutes of a beatdown, which would have been very, very ugly. They gave her a, well, very nearly gave her the win. That would have been stretching things a bit, but they got out of there quickly enough. And this is when you, and I, I love Tony Schiavone. I always have, even though he's clearly boning it in these days. I don't blame him for that. But that joke, I'm assuming that that hurts. That's maybe he's just trying to find some comedy for himself and all of this detritus. But I think he was underselling the gravitas of what was going on there. Now it's, Perry Saturn against a non-wrestler female and we're making jokes about it <clears throat> but the match was okay but yeah I've hated this feud but it looks like it's still going on but do it just to taunt us and it works Buff Bagwell is backstage and he is beaten up by creative control and oh yes Jeff Jarrett will nobody rid me of this turbulent priest <laughs> then we see some clips of Hennig avoiding pinfall defeats over the last few weeks so then Kurt Hennig versus Buff Bagwell in a loser must retire match. Oh, but here's Jarrett again. They beat on Hennig instead. And why the fuck did the bell just ring to start the match? Bagwell's not even there. He chases them. Fucking hell. You, you have to laugh, don't you? He chases them off and now we might have the match. Knife edge chops by Kurt and then some kicks to the outside. Those wags in the crowd get a perfect chunk going. And then Kurt jaws with the commentary team a bit. He eats the guardrail though. Then the battle on the floor continues. Buff sells the ribs, but manages to drape Kurt's neck onto the rope to force an opening. Hennig then, with the leg drop to the midsection, we all know so well. But do we really need another sleeper spot today? Unless they're going for the obvious joke about what sleepers do to people. What am I saying? Of course they are. Wrestling is dull. Anyway, Buff powers out, but then gets sleepered again, then just belted in the chest. Elbow and arrogant cover for two. Body slam and dance, but then he misses a double stomp. This one has very little flow to it, I'm afraid. Inside cradle for two and back to the chops. Blockbuster out of nowhere by Buff and then that wraps it up. God, that was a go-home finish if ever there was one. And that is it for Hennig. 
and now he hasn't even got Hunter Hearst Helmsley's women to go after. He gets the big standing O to finish, and Chris, we see it for all of two seconds. Yeah, this this was decent. Um, I would have expected better, though. If obviously, if you know, when watching it at the time, you think, oh, Kurt's hanging up. You know, one of one of the true legends. You know. For, for his work back in the Fed as Mr. Perfect and you know, his AWA days and stuff, you'd expect a little bit more. You know, it, it was it was a decent match and it was it was probably one of the better matches on the show. But you know, this guy's just been retired. Give him give him some time. But. You know, we then find out that it's all bullshit at the end of the month. But this this was one of those moments where I was like, ah, oh, it, it, this may start turning around. Emphasis on May. Yeah, I should say the standing ovation wasn't planned. That was the Toronto fans being Toronto fans. But of course, we didn't get to see much of it because it wasn't in the script, bro. Eric. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> And this was a match that between two competent workers that progressed to a logical finish without much going on outside the ring. So in the context of this show, (laughs) I'm not going to start. I'm not going to start complaining. It was fine. But at the same time, would you not agree? It didn't feel like a loser must retire match or anything like it. Oh, no. Stipulations for stipulations sake. But. The, the you know at this point uh, you know over an hour in or right at about an hour in I was just looking for something that I didn't actively hate so <laughs> I I guess That's the stipulation the bar, people. I guess the stipulation thing I just kind of forgot about once I realized that oh we just got a match that was fine so yeah the stipulation again um, existing in a place where everybody who's ever seen wrestling knows that's not going to it's not going to stick and whatever but the match was fine it was fine as i said in my notes a bit bitty a bit choppy but harmless enough sort of pro-ish saturday night level they're definitely capable of better but they get time constraints you've got to take that into consideration i was a little disappointed with this one mainly because it did not feel all of that important this is another storyline i've just been not a fan of i'm afraid that hennick has to avoid pinfall defeats if he wants to keep his career going well you just get disqualified all the time wouldn't you it's just not thought through sounds very good on paper but when you get to the small print it's just not there bagwell getting a win on pay-per-view which he probably moaned about because that's what he does these days <laughs> leading to his <laughs> skirmish with ddp he always complains about bagwell even when he fucking goes over he has something to say about it but uh match was all right not the kind of match i think these two were capable of but solid enough and nothing to really pick at. It's just such a shame that we couldn't stay with the standing ovation for a little bit longer, especially as the Sting interview, which I'm written in my notes, but I'm not going to make reference to. He said nothing of note in that. They could have kept with this a bit longer. I think that's why on Nitro the next day, they had a segment where Hennig actually came out to talk to the fans and he couldn't because he was choked up. Another very nice moment, which they then went on to ruin by having him team up with Creative Control. You know, the Creative Control who beat him up at the start of this one. Ah, oh, reward us for paying attention, will you? 
Anyway, after that irrelevant interview, let's get to our second semi-final match. Middle of the show. I would have put this as our second match, but okay. Bret Hart versus Sting. They soak in the Atmos for a while, and away we go. Sting is wrestling in his own T-shirt for some reason, but he does have a tan. <clears throat> Lock up and shove, and then we get some jaw jacking. Quite a bit of it, actually, until they punch it out instead. Brett gets a little dirty with a face across the ropes, and the fans love it, of course. Elbow to the back of the head, then the headbutt. Inverted atomic drop, but Sting in with a face rake. He stomps the fingers, nice, but then eats a clothesline. Snap suplex, gets a two. Low blow by Sting, and then he walks on the neck. Leaping elbow, but Brett kicks out easily, and we hit the chin lock. Brett fights out, popular spot today, but gets knee down shortly afterwards. We spill outside, and Brett gets sent to the table twice, but a splash by the Stinger misses. Signing crowd. Destiny's Child and TLC are lesbians. Keep telling yourself that, buddy. Sting charges, but gets booted down. The hitman climbs the ropes, but Sting was holding onto the ref, so he gets a bit of the axe handle too. Luger and Liz are out, and he has the bat, and whacks him in the back of the knee. Brett doesn't want it like that, and then nails Luger and puts him in the sharpshooter. <laughs> so, of course, the ref comes to and calls for the bell. Oh, dear. He awards Brett the victory by a DQ, but just like versus 123 Kid in 1994, he wants to win it the right way. Ah. So, we restart with Brett targeting the injured knee. Russian leg sweep and a backbreaker, but he meets Boot on the second rope elbow. Sting goes for the scorpion, but his knee can't hold it, so Brett is able to reverse, and the Stinger has the tap. So, Brett is through to the final after all. Brett goes to leave, but Sting seems to want some more, but only in the form of a handshake to officially end his heel run. Eric, your thoughts on the match and them abandoning Sting as a heel after six weeks? A heel run which you were quite amenable to. Yeah, and then they ruined it immediately. And then I was just like, well, just keep him face then because he can sell some T-shirts for you. Uh, which he was obviously trying to do by wearing his fucking T-shirt during the entire match. Oh, no, right. Um it's so distracting. Okay. Um, it, I think Sting might be a bad wrestler because he's now putting together the string of matches against guys of various talent levels, but guys who can have good matches. We've seen him against Hogan, just never be able to put it together. Now he's we've seen him against Brett, and he just can't put it together. And he's always needed somebody like Flair to carry him to something really, really remarkable. I can't think, or Vader, I can't think of a match where Sting hasn't just, you know, where his best matches are ones where he just obviously hasn't been carried. But then he's declining somehow in skill. So even when you put him in there against somebody like Bret Hart, who has not been motivated at any point in the last year and a half, really for anything. Um, and they just didn't have a great match. And I think they could. I really, really think they could. Um, and, and it didn't really come together. That's fine. Maybe they saved it for, for down the road. But I, I agree that this match needed to have some sort of uh, shenanigans in the finish because you have to keep Sting relatively strong and you have to protect the future rematch and you have to protect a, probably a Sting versus Benoit program too, um, just to, you know in the upper part of the card. But the problem is when you do this in every match leading up to it, again, it's like there's no concept of structuring the card. So it's just another match with another bullshit finish that makes brett look terrible it makes sting look even worse and it totally sells out luger and that would go on to happen again later so if you listen to our november to remember uh 98 show i said the worst thing in wrestling is when a match or a a pay-per-view or an angle actively makes everybody come out of it looking worse and that's what happened here 
And it's just it's unspeakable that you have such a clear path to get the title on Brett, but to keep Sting strong. And they're just incapable of executing it in any sort of logical or coherent fashion. So, no, this was not a good match. No, this was not a good finish. And no, this did nothing to untarnish Bret Hart. Your thoughts, Chris? You know, when you're sort of sitting there and you've got your your video games or your, your wrestling figures, if you're one of the younger ones, and you're going, well, I've got my WCW toys over here and I've got my WF toys over here. Who would I want to have a match against each other? And, you know... You'd think Sting, Brett, this would work. In reality, it really doesn't. Um, it was alright. It just, just sort of Sting sort of seems to be bobbing it in again, but just like turning up in his t-shirt by the fucking point. And then again, more fucking interference. Why? And Lex Luger can fuck off. You were shit in the early 90s <laughs> in the Fed. You were shit in the 80s. You're still shit now. Why'd you get so much fucking TV time? You're a fucking cunt. You're a bag of shit. Fuck off. Reminds me of a discussion that took place backstage. Um, Terry Taylor has jumped ship yet again. I know you're all interested in that one. He's back with World Championship Wrestling. I give it a couple of weeks, but nonetheless, there was a discussion about Lex Luger great matches, and Terry Taylor chimes up to say, "What one was that one then?" Uh, rooster, rooster, rooster. I liked what they were going for in this one. I still don't think we've had the match between Bret and Sting, and I've given up on us ever getting it. They won't be headlining an A-grade pay-per-view anytime soon. The Halloween Havoc 98 match was meh, and this one was not much above that. But the idea of Bret wanting to restart the match and win it the right way, I was okay with that here. If you're going to anoint Bret as the guy, as ridiculous as that sounds, it's right there on a plate. You shouldn't have to make effort to do it, but nonetheless, if you're going to, then have him be the person who wants to advance to the final by winning cleanly. They still gave Sting an out by having his knee collapse on the Scorpion Deathlock, so it doesn't really hurt him much. But, as you both made the reference to, when you have this sort of thing in pretty much every match, the impact is diluted. So it's just a case of, oh god, here comes Luger again. In what could have been a fairly decent storyline development, because it looks like Sting and Luger are going to be feuding. <laughs> pause for effect so it did actually those two words again it did make sense Luger's appearance here sorry Chris but you become numb to this sort of thing when you just expect it anyway and that was a shame match wasn't much Brett gets a lot of criticism for not putting a lot of real effort and thought into his matches these days I think later on today he disproves that theory but nonetheless it probably was on show here you could tell from his facial expressions he's not feeling a whole lot of this and sting's not the guy to really help him it was serviceable i liked just about them getting away with this as well uh, when it happens so often you don't care when you should care and this is the semi-final match for the world title ah benoit though knows who he is facing he tells Gene he has wanted this moment for 14 years, but as much of an honour as it will be to take on Brett today, there is only one outcome. And here's Luger again. He tells Tanay he needs the surgical collar he is suddenly wearing. Sadly, he will not be able to compete tonight. 
he will do everything he can for the fans, though, of course, personal letters if required. That reminds me of Cornet offering to refund all the fans at In Your House International Incident if his team lost. Wake up, Chris. Vampiro with Jerry only versus Berlin with the wall in a dog collar match for no satisfactorily explained reason. Dr. Death and Oklahoma are here and take the mic, but we've already given this Farago far too much time today already, so I'm not going to mention him. Berlin nails Charles Robertson even before he gets the chain on, and with the wall's help, they beat the pish out of Vampiro and Jerry. Sorry, Chris. There's very little to recap here until Vampiro fails to slam the wall and then the big fella puts the collar on, because, hey, you can do that. The wall does wall things, and now Berlin does not think that is uh, shun. The wall walks off, and now the misfits get in some double teaming. Nailing the coffin and a camel clutch with the assistance of the chain. Nobody's wearing it properly, and that will do it. Dr. Death takes us back a few months with some power moves on the misfits after the bell. Chris, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. Yeah, you know that point where I said, oh, the misfits are there, I'll, I'll turn up for this. This is where I started to regret it. I was like, I, di- I don't get what was going on with this match. Why the fuck was the wall the one in it? It's meant to be Berlin versus Vampiro, yet it turns out being Vampiro versus the wall. Then you've got Berlin and the wall's little tatate of being pissed off for each other. And it's like, yeah, wonderful. Vampiro won. Thank you very much. Done. Misfits celebrate. Off we go. No, no. We have to have fucking Dr. Death get involved. And yes, the Misfits took a hiding and took it well. There's some wonderful settling there, especially from the Oklahoma Stampede on Jerry Only. Was it needed? (laughs) Was it really needed? Did we really need this bag of grot? No, we fucking didn't. Dr. Death, I, I have a lot of time for him, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, and his work in Japan. He's not the type of guy that you need to see nowadays. I I like the character of Berlin. I like how, you know, we've gone from Das Wunderkid to Das Schrammstein. But, again... Did we really need the whole, ooh, I don't like the fact that my bodyguard is trying to win the match for me shit. It, it's, it's, again, more, the I'm going to sort of say it quite a bit on this, that it's more let's just chuck as much shit at the wall as humanly possible and hope that some of it fucking works. This, this was a match that could have just been, you put them two in there, you could even have the wall sort of take advantage and help him by not putting the chain on first and sort of do that bit. But it just it's just too much shit for no apparent reason that just makes it, if any of it does work, you don't care because all of the other shit. Chuck shit at the wall. I see what you did there, yeah. and I like it a lot. Eric? Uh, in reference to your match notes, what are wall things? <laughs> um, bad punches, bad headlocks, just bad stuff, basically. I have nothing to add. I'm a bit disappointed that needed clarification from you, Eric, really. But OK, we'll go on. I thought it was self-explanatory. Yeah, this fucking sucked. This is fucking dreadful stuff. Uh, I thought Berlin, I hate to bring this up again, but didn't he denounce his gimmick at the start of the month? I, 
it's impossible to remember. How can you remember? Just look. I mean, I've been making notes of all the segments, about 50 to 55 segments every fucking week. If you can remember this, you're a better or possibly even worse man than I. I don't know. Everybody's forgotten. This was dreadful. I feel so sorry for Alex Wright that he's three or four months now of this fucking nonsense. Vampiro sucks. Chris got to see Jerry only. I had a feeling he might pick that out. Um, why am I still talking about this? Let's talk about Mike Tanay chatting to Scott Hall, shall we? Oh, yes, let's. He became TV champ after Rick Steiner had to relinquish it after being powerbombed through the stage by Sid on Monday, and he lays down an open challenge. Headache makes the long walk out of the building as Kimberly makes one in. Uh, so our next match is going to be Lex Luger, the total package, but fuck it, I'm not giving him the satisfaction. Lex fucking Luger versus Mae. This one came about after Luger fucked with Meng for a few weeks, a course of action I would readily call ill-advised. Lex still has the neck brace on, but that bothers Meng not. A series of kicks to the midsection, but... Oh, excuse me. I'm trying again. My uh, milk stout repeating on me there. Yes, I'm not going through... I couldn't get through this one without a drink or two. I'm sure you can't blame me. A series of kicks to the midsection, but Lex is able to get a suplex off. It does nothing, though, despite him not landing on his head. Yeah. And outside the ring we go. And then back in. Okay. Clothesline by Package. Oh, why did I write that? And that gets no sold, too. Death grip attempt, but the neck brace comes to Lex's rescue. He pays for it with more kicks in the corner, however, and the chokehold. Awful power slam by Luger. He just sort of dropped him and half followed through afterwards. Rubbish. And then tries to head to the turnbuckle technique. Uh, yeah, and you knew here. Headbutts by Meng and the crowd are gone. One single We Want Brett chance, but one person makes its way through the silence. Meng holds Luger over the ropes and Liz gets out some spray. But yes, you guessed it. She hits the wrong guy. I make it the third time already for that one today. Meng tears off the neck brace and then he and then the death grip gets the easy three. Eric. It was five minutes long. It was not nearly long enough to be as offensive as it had every right to be. Um, so, and Ming won, which is unheard of in the last several years on pay-per-view, over Luger. So I thought that was cool because Ming is way better than Luger, and I'd rather see him on my television screen uh, picking up wins. Yeah, I think the I think if there's – all right, we're going to press the positivity button here. If there's one thing to be said, it's that many of these matches are not long enough to be as offensive as they should be. Yes, good and point. this match fell into that category. Good point. So, so it was bad, but it was short. Chris, who needs to fuck off this time? Well, You've already Lex, said Luger. You know, yeah, Lex, no, no, Lex no, 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 no. fuck off and take <laughs> fucking Liz with him. Oh, come on. Ming, Ming is better than this. That's the fucking... first lady of wrestling you're talking about. Well, she can fuck off. It's not the 80s <laughs> Haku Ming is a legitimate fucking badass. We've all heard the stories where he's bitten people's noses off and <laughs> fucked people up in bars. If you want to have a hardcore division, there's your fucking hardcore man. You know, you if, if he wanted, he could be the fucking champion and no one would ever beat him. He is wasted in this shit. And just... Fuck off, Lex, because you just know we it sort of goes into the fucking rest of the month that this shit, or the fucking being sprayed, is what then leads to all the rest of his shit for the rest of the month. And I'm like, can you just fuck off? 
I was. <laughs> you didn't disappoint me there. Um, if I was in a hardcore match with Meng, then I think I would gladly make like Norman Smiley in that one. <laughs> I think most of us would. Yeah, you would I would make sure my nose was covered up for one thing, which, given me, would take some doing. Um, well, you weren't supposed to laugh at that. Um, okay. Yeah, you're right, Eric. This was so short, you can't really critique it, despite me calling Lucas Power Slam awful, which it was. And men getting the win on pay-per-view for the first time since... I didn't take the time to look this one up. I'm sure somebody listening will know. But the, the 95 Great American Bash semifinals... Uh, well, for the U.S. title. For the U.S. title. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Um, okay, Stevie, follow that if you're listening. But yeah, I think Eric might be right there. Yeah, this was the right side of OK. And seeing Luger get fucked up, as Chris, I'm sure you will agree with me on, is always a bit of a pleasure these days. He is. Well, I was going to say Luger is done. Luger was done in. Well, he was done as anything meaningful in 94, let's be honest. I'm not going to dredge that up again. Now, we've talked about SummerSlam 93 far too often on these and other shows in the past. I did like his stuff with Sting, his face tweener heel tag team stuff at the start of 96, but I've never been a Luger fan. And of course, he's all over my TV screen. And following on from this, he gets his revenge on Liz by trying to set Meng on her or something. So she locks herself in a cage and then because he's granted booking power for her matches. Yes, Elizabeth matches. Don't bother, just go with it. Or rather, don't go with it. Uh, having a mud match, which ends up being contested between the returning Roddy Piper and Ronda Singh. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, GGC, you go on. Hold on. I grabbed the almanac off the shelf, and I go. have to make a culpa. The Great American Bash, and what's confusing is they ha- they fought again at the Bash of the Beach the next month, but the Great American Bash was the finals, and Sting won. So, But if you look back at Slamboree that year, Ming uh, uh, wrestled um, Road Warrior Hawk to a double countout on the main show. So oh, we have gosh, to look yes. back even past then. Really quickly, if you'll indulge me, I'm, I'm flipping the pages to Uncensored 1995 just to make sure, yes, Ming defeated Jim Duggan in that martial arts match. That might have been the last time unless the Faces of Fear picked up a, a W at some point. Listeners, did you ever think that one minute of discussion about 1995 WCW pay-per-views would be preferable and superior to the one and a half hours discussion on the show in 1999? Because you really should have done. Thank you for that, Eric. Yes. I feel so much better for knowing that now. I didn't uh, want Stevie to call me out. <laughs> you know he would have done. Uh, Gene is here with Brett. He considers Benoit a friend, but that is all being put aside tonight. After two years, he will prove he is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. I should say Luger walked through the shot on this one. Chris, he hasn't fucked off yet. Uh, <laughs> Scott Hall is out. After the usual pleasantries, it's time for anybody to not see it, but bring it. So who do we get? Following an issue where his music plays a little too soon, it turns out to be Booker T. And I think this match is for both the US and the TV titles. Scott Hall versus Booker. Toothpick to the face gets us going and Hall cracks right into the arm work WCW versus NWO World Tour players will be familiar with. You can't do that on Mayhem. Sidekick by Booker and we learn early that he is no fan favourite here. Side slam gets him a two and he executes a big forearm as well. Hall hits the deck. Are the crowd trying to get a Rocky chant going? I think they are. They both block a hip lock so Hall can hit that side choke slam thing. Booker then goes for a crossbody, and in a match versus Scott Hall, you know how that one's going to end. Spinning punch by Scott, and we really are just dialing in the numbers here. Something happens in the crowd, so they keep on the headlock for a while. Jarrett, I just wouldn't make me say that fucking name, and CC come down to watch. 
presumably the match, not the fight in the audience. But given Creative Control's love of outbreaks of violence in public places, who can really know for sure? Yes, I went there. They very hurriedly go after Booker T. Mm, I bet they do. But they get seen off very easily, only for Hall to catch him off the ropes in another tribute to 1994, Royal Rumble vs. IRS this time. And the outsider edge, as it, has known now, as it is now known, is good for the three. The lights go out, and when they come back on Midnight, who debuted last week on Nitro and is well-built, let's say, she comes in and she gets rid of the bad people. Chris? This was all right. Um, again, ruined with more fucking interference. You know, it's, it's all well and good having it happen one match, maybe two matches, but it's pretty much every match, so it makes no fucking odds you know that every everything's pretty much gonna have a bullshit finish though this midnight last she's a big fucker is she? she's pretty much the same size as booker there's plenty of her to go around let's say that and you know i suppose there's there's something there that we can go forward with booker t seeing the fact that stevie's not about and you know bruto's love of it agenda the new Harlem Heat is Booker and Midnight. Am I giving him ideas? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't. They don't need any more. Just to fill you in on who Midnight is, her real name is Anne-Marie and a former bodybuilder. I'm sure that won't shock you. Uh, she trained at the power plant and the original plan was for her to be on air as Eric Bischoff's bodyguard. But he ain't here no more, so they paired her with Booker T instead. Eric, your thoughts on the match? Yeah, she looks great. This could totally work. I mean... You saw how the affiliation... I mean, here's another repeater. We're pulling the old repeater. You saw how China's introduction helped Triple H kind of get out of that, like, stymied mid-card and, and ultimately become, you know, somewhat of a main eventer. Jerry's still out there, in my opinion. But, you know, certainly gave him a little bit of a rub. And um, so I think Russo's just pulling the old, let's try that again. And it could work. It's a good... It, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I just wouldn't have had the guy you're trying to elevate by pairing him with this you know, badass chick job to Scott Hall in seven minutes uh, immediately before. And it's just, we talked about this with talking about the outsiders. It's like, what have they ever done to positively contribute? Well, a good start would have been putting Booker T over Scott Hall in a competitive 15 minute match uh, to win uh, at least one and maybe more titles. I'm not sure which titles were on the line and who held them at this point, but um, I, the outcome is baffling, and then the the, the, the aftermath was great. So I, I can't be all negative, um, but I just don't understand their relenting decision uh, yeah. to, to bury Booker uh, for the sense yeah. of, of keeping Hall strong when he's so unreliable. Is it just me? When the heel, for Hall is a heel, he might not want to be, might not think he is, but he is, makes an open challenge that they should go on to them lose that match? Now I'm thinking Honky Tonk Man Warrior, SummerSlam 88, uh, Michael's Ginetti, Raw May 93, that sort of thing. It's just, yeah, it, none of this makes Shouldn't any sense. Shouldn't that happen? None of this makes any sense. Yes, it should. And here's Booker losing pretty decisively, interference or not, in seven minutes. It just makes him look like an idiot for accepting the challenge. You think, well, if you weren't ready, mate, then why did you even bother going out there? It's another opportunity to elevate somebody that is wasted. And he's now behind the eight ball being paired with Midnight. Okay, that's fine. 
have him going in with some momentum, winning a match. He's got these belts and he's got Midnight with him. Then you could almost take him seriously as, if not a main eventer, then damn close to it. But he's back down two or three rungs for losing this match. It didn't need to happen. Match was okay again. Scott Hall match, really. You do know what you're going to get with him when he's relatively compost mentis. Like they were just ticking the boxes, all the Scott Hall spots, you think. He's... <laughs> You never know who might be listening to this program for the first time in a while. So choose my words carefully here. Now, I did nominate Scott Hall as one of the MVPs of the year for 1997, not 1996. And <laughs> we all know how that one turned out. But Hall in the ring, I think Cornette said it best during one of his rants two years ago. A good wrestler, but good's about it. He's the best of the bunch. I've seen some rumblings, wasn't really this month, but last month that Hall might be getting a main event run at some point soon. I'm one of those people, and this might seem controversial, especially as I was certainly a Razor Ramon fan. I can never see him as a bona fide main eventer. I mean, he was spinning his wheels in the Fed pretty much after he lost to Jarrett. <laughs> there I go. I mentioned Jarrett off my own steam this time. I'm finished. I'm absolutely finished. When he lost to Jarrett at Rumble 95. Uh, and I was disappointed with that at the time, but... I just can't see him getting any higher than this. Uh, Chris, very briefly on Scott Hall. Well, the thing, if you think, when he first turned up and got that sort of Royal Rumble main event against Brett, what, in 93? 93, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's a bad bad guy as a heel. You know, he, he had a whole sort of thing. He was like, yes, I'm, I'm up for this. Then obviously going over and the, the massiveness that they had when they started the NWO, he... Yes, we're never going to surpass Hogan, but he could have been there. He could have had the run that Nash then had. But the thing is, now, are you are you even going to want to put that much faith in him? You know, I'm pretty sure that, you know, we know it's a running joke that he, he falls over and you know, whether he can be standing, that he has issues with, with his drinking and other substances would you put your faith in him to do it now yeah as i said four or five years ago or even three years ago when the nwo started then yeah but not now he's he's too much of a liability to be put into a position where you sort of build something to go forward and then you just know that he's gonna end up in a fucking ditch somewhere All of that is very sadly true and probably is who knows what he's doing as we apparently he has cleaned himself up, which is why we're seeing so much of him on TV these days. But who can really say? I think he's always going to end up being in Kevin Nash's shadow unfairly, in my opinion. But Nash is so all consuming in more ways than one. That's the way it's going to be. Eric, very quickly on this Scott Hall main eventer. I don't think it's ever going to happen, is it? Should it ever have? Uh, I think it can eventually happen. But boy, if they're doing it now, uh, it's you're pulling the trigger a little early. Like we've seen how the the pressure of being one of those top guys can impact people with addiction problems anyway. So if if we're gonna strap the rocket to Hall's back, you know now that he's just clean, um, maybe I, I'd be worried about what type of pressure that would put on Scott Hall. So maybe you know build him up for a year, make sure he's got his head in the game, make sure he's, you know, minding his P's and Q's and then say, yeah, here's your, here's the carrot at the end of the stick is a, you know, a six month main event run culminating, 
you know, beginning at Starcade maybe or culminating in a big main event, and then you put the next guy over, right? And you can't do that now, though, just for all the reasons that, that you and Chris brought up. So I think it could happen. I think if they're going to do it anytime soon, it's way too soon. Liability is the word. And we are finally into double figures for our match number match number 10. We're almost there, everybody. Ah, yeah, David Flair versus Kimberly. <laughs> so the story behind this one. Uh, at the end of last month, she tried to drug him in a hotel room, but Ric Flair was in there instead. Uh, she then ran him over. He's been looking for revenge all month, stalking her out in various all sorts of places. She left the Nitro goals as well. She's narrowly escaped with her life on each occasion when she's trying to escape David Flair. Uh, Russo can make her wrestle because, of course, he can. And so we have a match signed for the pay-per-view between David Flair and Kimberly. Between David Flair and Kimberly. David has his trusty crowbar with him and bears what I think we call a cadaveric pallor. Kim kicks him in the balls and that just spurs him on. <laughs> you and me both, pal. He, though, goes for the bar again and Kim is left pleading for her own safety. In a not unconnected action, she then goes to suck his cock, I just call it as I see it, and then whacks him with his protection. She forces it into his face and then in with the slaps of doom. The crowd do not know who they should be supporting here, other than, of course, the sport of pro wrestling. And isn't this the match for that? She suddenly cowers in the corner again, and what is Canyon doing here? Fresh off the set. He takes down Flair as DDP hobbles down to observe. Low blow to Canyon by David, but he eats a cutter. He then grabs the bar and on Anderson. Tony actually calls him one of the agents here in WCW, but that's rather mild for what passes for inside baseball stuff here these days. Everyone else just leaves, taking their and my senses with them, and David Flair's have long gone as he attacks Arn. The great man, who deserves just a little bit better than this, I would wager, does a stretcher job to close. Eric Landstrom. David Flair versus Kimberly. Yeah. And this match was shorter than the Ming versus Lex match. <laughs> and it was perfectly long enough to be offensive. And it was. <laughs> um, it's all relative, man. Um, let's let's just not, you know, paint any... any um, you know, hidden images here. This is a rape and assault storyline culminating to a match between a wrestler and an untrained woman um, at a pay-per-view that people pay money for. And then there was simulated dick sucking at some, like, so basically, basically. Yeah. Right. And so we have all that. And then uh, the match happens and things happen and everything you happen described. And then what was probably, my favorite angle of the night was the David Flair Arn Anderson thing, just because it evoked a time in an alternate universe where there could be a storyline where Ric Flair's crazy narcissistic son goes apeshit on all of his dad's friends. And, you know, there's something there. Hmm. It's not going to happen, but it at least gave me some, you know, temporary glimmer of optimism in an otherwise very bleak um, dystopia. So, that's my positive uh, takeaway from this match, but everything leading up to that just needed to not be on my television screen. And I can't say I did not miss out there. You did. You called Kimberly untrained. You just called David Flair a wrestler. That's a black. That's a black mark against your name. He's an amateur well, wrestler. He's an amateur <laughs> champion. At, you know. Okay. That's not David least, Flair. That's real. And, and, uh, and maybe. And, and maybe I'm 
maybe I'm underselling the extent of training that Kimberly might have. I don't know. I just know that this is not something that I would book. Phew. <laughs> Chris. It was shit. Everything about it was shit. The whole story's been shit. Though at least David Flair looks good with the crazy eyes. That's the only redeeming factor. He, he pulls off crazy good. And Chris, I appreciate you might not know the answer to this, but why was this on pay-per-view? Pay-per-view! I, I don't know. Third from the top! <laughs> I'm, I'm not in the head of Vince Russo. I, I, I can't answer that question. That's, that's quite... That's a sewer, isn't it? <laughs> the head of Vince Russo. Oh, my. I'd quite like to be brought the head of Vince Russo. I'll give you that. And then I can have a really close look. Yeah. If the Saturn Tory stuff that lasted all of 30 seconds made me and hopefully a lot of other people feel uncomfortable, and this was multiplied to the nth degree. Eric, you're right. This was, you know, we're talking stalker and we're getting close to out and out rape angles here, aren't we? It's, look, it's all weird, dude. Kim, Kimberly trying to drug him. You know, let, let's not forget that. She was originally the heel in this one. I know they've switched it completely where David Blair is trying to exact his revenge by cornering her in dark places. Oh, Ugh. dark places indeed. I feel like I say this with unerring regularity on these programs, and but I make no apologies for doing so. I don't want pro wrestling to go here. You haven't got the writing ability, you haven't got the acting ability, you haven't got the production ability in order to be able to carry it off. If I want to watch that sort of thing, there are plenty of media out there for me to do so. I watch pro wrestling to get away from that sort of thing. And the connotations where Kimberly's trying to escape this man who wants to do unspeakable things to her. And then she tries to fellate him in order to give him what he wants. Oh, no, it's no, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely wrong. Almost as wrong as David Flair going for the horror villain brandishing a crowbar but for me he just both looked and sounded like ned flanders in bart of darkness (laughs) 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 yes i will of course play in the clip right about now and i like ned flanders more than most people but that's not what they were going for here yeah badly designed badly executed and this is not pro wrestling's place it really really isn't but then this isn't being booked by a pro wrestling person is it ah two matches to go sid asks or rather tells Tanay if the words i quit could ever fall out of his mouth well given what we heard sid say earlier six days ago on nitro who is to really say so semi-main event goldberg versus sid in an i quit match sid attacks at the bell but doesn't get much further than being power slammed he is up instantly though Outside of the ring, scrapping before sauntering back in. Sid with a million dollar dream, remembering where he came from, before hurling <laughs> down to the mat. Uh, the million dollar corporation. It's not, too much 95 on this show. Uh, the corn cutting punches in the corner and the choke slam. He ain't going to quit, though, despite being given another. Goldberg rallies with that sort of armbar type kind of thing he does, and they end up in the ropes. And that sounds to me like a Goldberg sucks chant. That's a problem. Speed punches by Bill, and yes, he is being outright booed now. That is a big problem. Something akin to a chicken wing goes on, and the bell sounds. Did Sid give up? 
Well, he's unconscious, supposedly, so he couldn't give up. Therefore, the ref had no choice but to stop it. Uh, yeah, I think I preferred the original. Chris, the match and the crowd reaction to Goldberg. Well, this was just really dull. Um, you sort of think, oh, two big lads, they're going to batter the shit out of each other. Oh, you're making it a submission match where neither of them do submissions. Uh, put an anchor on their feet straight away. Not great. And it was exactly what you expected it to be. It was shit. Um, obviously, Goldberg getting rinsed by the fans. Maybe, you know, a WWFism here that, you know, Canada is crazy land. You know, they, they just, you know, booing the faces because that's what they do. But to be fair, he's not had great reactions all month, really. Um, and the fact that he's going into the main event against Brett for the title next month, I don't, I don't hold up much hope. And has has the the Golden Goose lost its shimmer? Uh, you've been working on that one. Well played, sir. Eric, can you follow such sparkling wordplay? No. <laughs> um, Who could? Is was Sid the face going into this match? Um. Well, Sid is a face the next day on Nitro, where he and Goldberg just make it up because that's what happens these days. I think he was still nominally a heel at this point. I just—he Sh- should have been turned instantly face after blood streaming down his face and not giving up last month, but that didn't happen. They waited because they're stupid. I, I I just they did the whole pass out in the submission hold finish that's designed to not only be make a face stronger but to turn a heel face. So yeah, I it, guess it, they did that here. They um, did that quite well last time, if I recall. But uh, yeah, <laughs> again we're just putting our hands into the fucking bag and pulling out pieces of paper that have random ideas written on them. Um, uh, like what do you why you spend all this time building Sid into uh, somebody who for all of his warts backstage and apparently there's quite a few of them these days like the guy is still super over he can move some tickets he doesn't have to do much to have an entertaining match and you're just going to completely ruin him by having Goldberg just steam all over him now for the better part of three months I just what's the point so they've lost all their momentum with Sid, I think. I don't think they're going to get it back, although they, they definitely don't take the pedal off the gas with him. Um, but Goldberg's now getting booed because they're, he's beating people that people like. So the booking is way off. And now you've got a situation where you've got a, a weakened Sid and you've got effectively a heel Goldberg, whether they want to recognize that or not, going into a match with Brett no spoilers next month who's lost all of his momentum too it's just again just trip over yourself booking that does nobody any good we will talk about the crowd reaction to goldberg a bit more when we do our preview for starcade i think it's a major concern canada or not this was explained away in the sheets as the toronto fans remembering the superb angle and it was a superb angle with he and brett back in march which hopefully will be talked about again in a few weeks' time on these programmes. That might have had something to do with it, but I think it was just fans getting a bit 
tired of the man. There's not a whole lot of meat on the steak. He's all sizzle, and that's got him a long way. But you know, to use your burger metaphor earlier, Eric, sometimes you do want a very simple burger, but sometimes you really do want the relish on there as well. And the poutine as well, of course. Dropping that <laughs> um, match was not much. I was genuinely surprised when the match ended as fast as it did. Again, whether that was a go-home call, I'm not entirely sure. The pay-per-view on our review copy ended up running two hours 53. So it might have been. They might have got the old curly finger treatment. So I've only got seven lines worth of notes here. There's very little to actually talk about. I can't even really say if this match was any good or bad or not. It didn't really get a chance. A few moves, and then we went right to the finish. But I think the big story is what Goldberg got or didn't get out of it. And we'll build on that again on the show a bit shortly. Related to that, we have finally come all this way to the final of the world title tournament and our final match of the pay-per-view. Very wisely, credit where it's due, between Bret Hart and Chris Benoit, face v face, in Canada for the undisputed world title. Is that as good as it gets? Let's find out. Handshake to start, but collar and elbow to follow. No clean break in the corner, so Charles Robinson has to step in. I like that. Arm dragged by Benoit and a standoff. They struggle over a hammerlock, but again end up in the corner and the break being forced. Me likey. Brett gets the arm ringer on in the middle of the ring and Benoit was taken down to the mat. The crippler is up and a good old no-nonsense knee to the gut gets him back on track. Tight headlock on the ground, but Brett can leave that into a cradle for a snap too. I'm not sure we really deserve wrestling this good. Well, one person doesn't. Sunset flip, but they end up in the ropes. They quickly try their finishes, but again hit the ropes, so it was more of a feeling-out testing process as opposed to attempts to actually win at this stage. Expert psychology, as Tony picks up on. Hand slapped by the both of them, but it's time for the Brett bump. And then, time for a fan in full maple leaf regalia. Remember we saw one earlier, and he jawed with Malenko? Well, now, it is Malenko. Because Dean Malenko, the Iceman, would really take the time required to do himself up in all of that. He attacks Benoit, but quickly is sent to the back. Can we return to the marvellous match now, please? Beautiful pole driver by the hitman and the chops that end all chops in retort by the crippler. Backbreaker and a cover for a two. Side suplex also for a two. Brett with a DDT for the same result. This match is working on a steady incline and it's an absolute treat. Tombstone reversal spot. Benoit gets it off and he wants the headbutt and gets it. Oh God, here they come. The Outsiders, because yes, we're doing this now. Well, one of the Outsiders, Hall, is here. Nash takes a bit longer to make it. Uh-huh. They are meant to pull the ref out, but Hall seems to forget this. What is getting rid of all of his brain cells? So Brett actually has to kick out in true WrestleMania 8 main event fashion. Oh, dear. They then get to doing what they're paid for, and then Goldberg comes down to get him some of them. So it's a world title tournament match, and we have five men in the ring. Nah, fuck that. Bill then sees them off, and why have we got a split screen for that? Oh, my days. Benoit wrenches the knee and comes down hard on the leg. Figure of four goes on. Brett claws out of it and tries to shake the leg whilst attacking with his good side. Backbreaker gets two. Super, superplex now, and both men are down. Brett is up first, and you know this one means something, as he actually hooks the leg on the pin. Gorilla Monsoon enjoyed that one up there. Benoit gets onto the ropes, though. Crowd get distracted again, but thankfully not for too long. The Crippler takes a breather, but Hart won't let that go on for long. Not that the Crippler cares as he cracks right into two vicious Germans. 
Brett blocks the dragon suplex, and they fight with all they have over the next moves. Brett Hart's fighting. He's fighting for his life. Look at that. I've never seen a fight like this. Oh, what an effort by Hart to get out of that. I've watched his career for 20 years. He's never fought like this. Here he goes. He steps up. Eventually, it's going to be a sharpshooter, and Benoit taps. Brett has done it at long, long, long last. Hart family members make it into the ring to celebrate with him, and yes, even Julie is here. Although she spends most of her time talking to Jade rather than Brett. I noticed that, and I'm sure he did too. He and Benoit embrace as we end the show. Yes, end the show. Eric, did they get us there? Ah... Mm, so frustrating because yes. everything in the last five minutes was exactly what it needed to be. Um, except for, again, it's just what they did at Canadian Stampede like two years ago. So, again, another callback to something that happened very recently in the other company when they happened to, you know, when the Canadian uh, person happened to have a success in their Canadian land. Um, so... The match was good. The, these two should have had a much longer, uh, much cleaner contest, and there would have been no harm whatsoever in Brett winning this match cleanly. Um, I don't think Benoit would lose anything losing to Brett at this point in a 18 to 20 minute match. If you want to a lot for some interference, great, no problem. But like you said, Rory, it was just just enough to take you out of it, and just enough to stymie their momentum. And, and just as there was a little bit of momentum, we went home. And it was the I think it was the right finish. Uh, but it just it never allowed itself to build to anything beyond good uh, because there was just so much bullshit that needed to be uh, shoehorned in there. And I guess I just kind of questioned if you're going to do this, why not build to this match as the main event of your Canadian pay-per-view? I mean, I, I don't know whether the show sold out or whatnot, but... If you're going to have two Canadians in the main event for the world title, you might spend two or three weeks building to it. That's, so if you've done the tournament completely on TV and just have the final here, I, assuming I think you're so. doing the tournament at all, but okay. If, if this is your if this is your payoff, um, and and I mean it's WCW, so who knew if they knew if who knew if they knew what this was the payoff was until ten minutes before this show went on the air. But um, if this was your payoff, I would have booked it ahead of time uh, and really advertised it. And, but other than that. It was the right outcome. It was the, probably the best match on the. It de- definitely was the best match on the show. I just wish it had less interference, and um, I'd love to see these guys have 20 minutes uh, without any of the nonsense. Well, we did get that from them last month on Nitro, but that was before no. somebody else came along. Right, and and it was something that was a beautiful match. Of but course. now that now that we have world title stakes and stuff, I would have, you know, you can ele- unlike we've seen uh, with the Booker T and Scott Hall thing. 
it's really easy to elevate somebody with a good quality loss. And I think Benoit could have even bumped, been bumped up another half step here if he'd hung with Brett for 20 and got caught in the sharpshooter. No, no issues there. But instead, it's a new world, man. It had better be. Chris, thoughts on the match? The booking, Brett being champion, take all of that. So, obviously, um, after last month's show and you talking about it, I went back and watched that Brett Benoit match to match for Owen. And when I was like, oh, Brett Benoit, the final tournament, we're going to get that Mark II. And instead, we get a match that's ruined by fucking more interference. There was no need for the interference in this. This, this at this point, this is your title, your tournament title, you know, tournament final for the title. Let them go out there and have the 20-minute classic that we know they can. That's the thing. Is this isn't two guys that you like? Oh, can they do it? Will they do it? You know, is it is it doable? We got it fucking a month ago. An absolute five-star classic. Probably one of the best matches in the history of fucking WCW. And I am going back to NWA levels of classic matches. And they give us this. It is such a fucking horrible taste down your mouth when you go... You what you could have had. And we know they can do it because we saw it last fucking month. They they shot themselves in the foot and this if this is how fucking Russo wants to run this company I shudder to think where they're gonna be in a year. And I'll bring it to you month by month, ladies and gentlemen. Um Right, well, what do we have here? Okay, let's get the bad. I want to try and finish on a high note best I can, so let's get the bad out of the way, or maybe some time. The Dean Malenko interference, him beating up Benoit, death feuding, as much as I didn't want to see any interference here at all, I could believe it. I could not believe that a fan an hour and a half ago jawed with him whilst done up wearing the Canadian flag in the face and all the rest of it. And Dimonenko would somehow suddenly decide to copy him just so he can get to Benoit. Why not just walk down the aisle and beat him up like everybody else does? But that was <laughs> there, there, there was that thing, overthinking things yet again. Number two, the outsider's interference with Goldberg. Not required at all at this point. Not required. Now, maybe they... I know I was talking about Scott Hall being involved in main events. This isn't what I meant. And the fact that they botched it anyway. Hall was many paces ahead of Nash coming down to the ring, obviously. But still didn't get it in time to save them. Brett having to kick out of the move. Ugly. Ugly stuff. Switching to a split screen so we could see Goldberg beating up the outsiders. Because you know, no other opportunities to see that, of course. In the back, when there's a world title match going on in the ring, no. I hate to break this to you, Vince, but you are still a pro wrestling company, okay? You can fight that as much as you wish. You might think you're catering to a very certain type of audience. This is a pro wrestling company. You hear me? And this is the belt, the lineage, 1905 and all of that. Deal with it. 
treat us to it. Overlooking all of that, I think these two, I would have understood if they'd been able to, if they'd not been able to, if they had toned it down a little, aware of all the nonsense that was going to go on during it. But the action we did get was largely excellent. It wasn't allowed to be as good as last month's match, but they made a mighty fine fist of it. The psychology held the most minute detail than the play-by-play, battling for their finishes near the ropes. They know they're not going to win like that, but they're just going to let their opponent dare around and maybe just weaken them a bit more. So in 10 minutes' time, when they go for the finisher, they're going to win. There's little things like that. It just... We talk about matches building because they don't get a chance to do that these days. This one did. It worked this way up from 0 to 1 to 2 to 3 to 4 to 5%. You know, undulating, what with all the interference, but they eventually got to the 10 level and that finish was hot where they were just scrapping for any move they could think of. Anything would do at this point. They were going out for 20 minutes and from there, Brett sees the tiniest opening and locks on the sharpshooter and that is enough for the win. A great finish which does not hurt Benoit at all, any way, shape or form. I didn't mind the Hart family coming in at the end. Yes, we've seen it done before. But here, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Brett himself requested that, (laughs) whether he wanted Julian not to come in there. I will leave that one hanging in the ether. But it was a nice moment in the pay-per-view, which had very few nice moments. Brett is finally there. We'll talk a bit more about him as champion in a few minutes' time. But this was, and boy, did we ever need it, Something positive to end on after those two hours and 53 minutes, which, Chris, you are now going to sum up and give us a score rating out of 10 for. So what could have been a decent show is ruined by way too much fucking interference. It's all right. There was between interference, there was a lot that was, you know, passable to good. So being that, I will give it a five. Eric, what have we got? I am so numb to all everything we've talked about. I, I'm just looking back through my notes like, there's a lot we didn't talk about on this show. <laughs> and in just thinking back, I... It's so difficult to assign an objective grade to something like this because there's just so much to synthesize. Uh, But really, this was a bad show. And Lacey, you're absolutely right. There was a lot of potential on the show. And in my opinion, almost none of that potential was realized. And the horrendous booking for the first half of the show that only got better by a small small degree in the second half of the show gosh there's just so many problems so so many problems and so many problems that shouldn't be problems and those that could be solved by obvious solutions uh i think the show deserves nothing more than a three out of ten uh yeah i'm closer to you on this one eric i'm at three and a half which is still 100 percent more 150 percent improvement on what i gave halloween havoc so we're getting there There was enough passable in-ring action here for it to avoid the complete doldrums. And the main event, the two people in there gave us a bit of a show. And I do mean a bit of a show because that's all they were allowed to give us. Yet, the booking was an anchor around this pay-per-view. Once again, I used that analogy earlier. I'm going to say so again. Ocean bottom stuff. 
just because a lot of things are happening doesn't mean I want to see them all. Chris, you've said it a lot over the last couple of hours. We've talked about throwing stuff at the wall. And we wonder what kind of stuff being thrown at the wall. That's just it. Now, it really is a case of, as a pro wrestling booker, it's quality over quantity. That shouldn't even need explaining. But just because there are four or five run-ins every match, we get tons of backstage segments here on a pay-per-view. Now, we get shots of people walking to the ring for their matches. Just because you see all that to fill out two hours, 53 minutes, doesn't mean it has to happen. Now, nobody sits down with the best of Raw or pay-per-views, WWF pay-per-views last year or this year. Not many of them grateful they're in ring. It is true. But you still don't sit down and say, oh, it's great because this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. You say it was great because this one thing happened and the supporting features acted as a buffer for it. But if there's so much going on, you're expecting so much of your audience, but you're actively taunting them in doing so, you're not taking them on the journey. You are putting up the shutters yourself then you are doing everything that as a pro wrestling booker, uh, you should not be doing. I have very little issue, very few issues with the talent here, apart from Lex Luger, Chris, you'll be pleased to hear, but three and a half out of ten, and I'm robbing myself. That's what I'm hearing. You know what? I got a surprise. Whoa! Hold it. It's tequila, man. That's for you. Is that for me? Yeah, it's a present for you, man. Set that up, try baby. It, try it. It's the best one. It's the best. Is this the cheap stuff or the no, expensive one? No, no, it's the expensive one. Roll and that the juice. A Come bit. on. Just try it. Oh, Ubi, this tastes like horse oh. piss. Get the hell out of my office. Patrick, Gerald, go get my toothbrush. It's in the gold case. Let me wash this taste out of my mouth. I thought that looked a little funny. Yeah, it did. The powers that be, and yes, you know who that is, is now an on-screen character. Well, sort of an on-screen character. We never get to see his face, because let's face it, who really wants to break their new 21-inch TV screens these days? But we do get to see his arms and him pointing a lot of people, in which he gets to call the shots. Everybody gets called into the office, and he dresses them down, because he's the boss and he can. So we have cancer sufferer Jim Duggan being forced to clean toilets. We have Juventus Guerrero, one of the best workers on the roster, being reduced to somebody who Vince Russo can help get his green card back and carries tequila with him. Because, again, he's Mexican and that's what they do. Yes. Oh, yes. And he gives women the Heimlich maneuver backstage because that's really funny. Emasculating everybody from Kimberly to Luger to Hennig and there and back again. Piper gets to shoot on him. It doesn't get very far. Uh, Chris, this is life imitating art, imitating life, imitating art. And we see people who should be in much better places being forced, as I'm sure they are backstage anyway, have the riot act read to them by this knob Vince Russo. Yeah, if there was ever a point of someone building a show to put them fucking selves over, this is it. Like, I'm pretty sure every show... Like on TV, there's at least fucking 10 to 15 segments with this prick. Um, whether it being shit with fucking shitbag Luger, him, him and Jarrett's fucking loving where then they don't like each other because, oh, we didn't do what you wanted them to. The creative control stuff. It's just like, can we fuck off with this? It... it if he's trying to do what he did in the Fed, Vince never did that. Vince wasn't there doing 
you know, he had his bits with Austin or The Rock or whoever the, the main guy was, but he wasn't in there berating Jobber B before he goes into a match with mid-card guy C. It's just bullshit for the sake of fucking bullshit. Um, the only good thing we got out of it was the fact that we got a, a decent match between Jushin Bundeliger and Hubi because he didn't like the fact that Liger turned up. <laughs> I, again, I wonder why. <laughs> but then again, that was then fucking ruined with bullshit finishes and yeah, it's his fucking handprints on this whole show is just he puts himself over interference in fucking everything and bullshit finishes. If that's what WCW is getting, WCW is fucked. Eric, one of the main problems with this is that, yes, we've seen authority figures on air before. I wonder where. But Vince McMahon was never presented as the writer of all of this stuff. And that's the thing I find so hard to swallow. It's say they get this stuff probably backstage every week and they have to endure it on screen as well. It's just horrible. It, It has so little well, okay. I think it's designed to have nuance, and instead it just has none. Um, it's designed to kind of, you know, break the fourth wall and break kayfabe and all this. Well, of course. But 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 it's not because the kayfabe is in this guy having all the shots, whether it's worked or not. So they've, I don't, whatever. The other thing is the storyline that it's attempting to copy was one where it was between the owner of a company and its top star. And the conflict was legitimate in that the owner of the company did not appreciate its top star's values. Right. Um, And that was a feud that was the the origin of a feud that carried the WWF and still kind of does in some fringy ways. But this is just the boss lording over everybody for no reason other than he's the boss um there is no rationale here all they're doing is making the promotion the heel like at least when you had austin you know you could argue that mcmahon and the wwf were the heel but it was really mcmahon who was the heel the wwf was never presented as a heel organization because mcmahon's beef was with austin not with everybody This is the guy who's running the promotion being a heel to everybody. So the promotion is the heel. Why the fuck am I going to turn into watch a heel promotion? Like that. Oh my God. It just makes me want to bang my head against the wall. It it buries everybody. Everybody. And I just wonder if that's the intention. It must be right. Sabotage. Sabotage is the only way you can really describe this, right? There's there's nothing else. It's like in, is this like in sports when, and I'll just use, you know, this, when a, a team fires its coach and fires its general manager and then they bring new people in and they try to tear it all down and the whole pitch is, oh, we're going to lose for three or four years, but then we'll really turn it around. And that window is conveniently long enough to get that second contract. Like, is that what this is, maybe? <laughs> uh, Vince Russo's second contract. Um, yeah, okay. If, 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 again, they say that the simple explanation is probably the right one. 
my simple explanation is I've been through is a twat, so it is the right one. But I just want to use some facts here. We've given our opinions, although they're facts too. I just want to give some facts about the ratings, you know, the things he mentions 50 times every show, how they have been getting on. Just want to give you a breakdown. So on the 4th of October, which had the Brett Benoit match, a 2.9. And on the 11th, the first pre-Russo show, a 2.6. And this is what we've got leading up to the 22nd of November, because we don't have the ones for the 29th yet. We've had a 3.3, a 3.5, a 3.2, a 3.4, a 3.1, and a 3.4. So fairly consistent, it must be said. But I do wonder if this is real rubbernecking stuff rather than any real association with the product that people are redeveloping. WWF are still way out in front. The lowest difference between the two was on the 8th of November, where it was a difference of 2.0 between the two. So there's no real comeback here on the ratings, but the numbers have improved, which is what Bill Bush is very happy with these days. He's supposedly Russo's boss, but let's face it, Russo is, I'm going to use the phrase once more, a law unto himself, because there's nobody there to tell him any differently. The numbers don't lie. I wish they did. But they do seem to be botting him out at the mid threes. Uh, I mean, look, at, I'm looking at the ratings there. Even as recently as the first week in September, however, they did a 4.1. So now he hasn't turned things around too much yet. I just don't know who he's booking for other than himself. In, yes, he was an obviously an on-screen character, not really. What was Vic Venom? He appeared on Livewire once at the end of '96. He's just it's just fantasy stuff. He saw Vince McMahon, but Vince McMahon was is a performer of true liquid fried gold on there. And I basically wish that Vince McMahon had turned heel two, three years before he's so good at it. Vince Russo is doing it, and I'm repeating myself, I know, but he's doing it because it's the same thing that worked two, one years ago and earlier this year. But he doesn't have the personnel, and most importantly of all, he doesn't have Vince McMahon there to help him along. There's no framework to any of this. He doesn't have any... He doesn't have any cachet to like 99% of the wrestling audience. Exactly. People would tune into WWF when it was Austin, when he was screwing up, oh, sorry, McMahon, and he was screwing Austin and other people because you knew every three or four weeks Vince was going to get his ass kicked. That doesn't look like it's going to happen here. And if he has a beef with everybody, face or heel, then who's it going to be? He is just living out his ownership fantasies. I mean, for fuck's sake, he gets to do it backstage. Why do we have to see it on our TV screens as well? The thing uh, is, if you look at what Vinnie Mac was doing, obviously he originally was the commentator. Obviously we there was that breaking of of kayfabe of the fact of when obviously he had the sorrow child that those in the know then knew he owned the company, but he was always you know a a on screen person. Yes. Exactly. For them, exactly. Them, for them, for them, him to kind of come out and be, oh, actually, fuck, this is the guy that owns it all. Was was something. It's not just oh, the mystery person. And at least you had that engagement with the fact that you knew who Vince McMahon was. So then, when he became a dick and was a prick to Austin, you're like. He's a cunt. He, he was this smarmy little shit that was really nice to us and sort of, sort of, welcome to WrestleMania. You know, and we all thought, oh, good guy Vince, the commentator. Turns out he's a cunt. Ah, yeah, I want to punch him too. Whereas Russo is, yes, we're not seeing him, but already 
we know that he's a cunt. There, there is no, there's no. Oh, he he was he's pretending to be nice, but really he's a cunt. He's just a cunt. There's there's no engagement to, you know, any ever further story onto this because no one's gonna be invested in it because everyone's already very much in that sort of bandwagon of why the fuck are we doing any he's just a prick that's trying to put himself over doesn't give a fuck about any of the wrestlers face or heel has no fucking redeeming features is just a grade a cunt it's completely the wrong sort of heat this is as well completely the wrong sort of heat i don't want to see vince russo get his ass kicked well i do but you know what i mean i just want this whole thing to end I don't need beaten over the head that this guy is in control. I really fucking do not. He isn't even a heel. He thinks he's not a heel character. And I have a modicum of sympathy. Yes, I'm going to put this on air. I'm not going to edit it. A modicum of sympathy. Because he is just a writer. He might think delusions of grandeur, be it this is real or not real, who knows, capable, non-capable with him, who knows. He might have delusions of grandeur that he is something else and that, but not. He is just the writer. Not the owner, he's just the writer. So, again, there's no cachet for people needing to hate him, really, other than the way they're booked. But you don't want to see that playing out on TV, which gets us into the vicious circle, because that is what is plays out on TV, because we're talking about booking, writing, jobs. All of that stuff gets mentioned. as a worker, all regular, every single match, angle. We hear it now all the fucking time. A, it takes us out of the moment, as we all know. But B, it means that he can get no comeuppance, because he as a character, isn't really doing anything different. He's writing the shows. Well, we know that somebody does that, but if that's how his character is presented, then what eventually happens? Somebody tearing up the script on live TV? Oh my God, I've given them an idea. Let's quickly fucking move on. Let's finish. Again, try to finish on a positive with our Starcade main event, which has not been officially booked yet, but it's been talked about in the sheets and it was mentioned on air by Brett. Uh, we're going to be getting Brett versus Goldberg. Nominally, a face versus face encounter to main event Starcade next month. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on this one, whether you think it's a Starcade worthy main event. And again, build on some of the stuff we've talked about Goldberg earlier as well. See, I, <clears throat> I would say with name value, then yes, seeing the fact that Starcade is their WrestleMania, you've got the big name ex-WWF world champion who's now your world champion and the undefeated monster that was hot shit last year going against each other it on paper is a perfect main event for your big show the problem is as we sort of saw at Mayhem and basically sort of the majority of, of the sort of month Goldberg's not as over as he was a year ago um, obviously going back to last year's Starcade where you know the fucking cattle prod of doom Ugh. and fucking murdering the streak that way I'm not sure he's really recovered since that I think him losing his streak and the way that it was done and the way that sort of since then he's he's not 
really had the world title run. He's not really done anything. And then this shit with Sid recently, I think he is he is diminished in in the wider view of the wrestling fan. But it's still there's still enough there for it to be a, a main event of where we're standing in the minute. Because I look at it and I look, who else on that WCW roster has the name value to go in there against Brett for, for that first title match on the on the biggest of the shows? Obviously, yes, Hogan's still under contract, but he's not going to come back for anything. You know, so that takes that off the book. Um, Flair uh, no one of the outsiders no obviously in his own wet dream Jarrett would want to be in there but no no and yes you could do him and him and Benoit again and you know that that if given half an hour no bullshit would be a starcade worthy main event of you know the flair of the 80s flair and dusty matches level of of main event and worthiness but you're not getting that so I I think it is the best of a bad situation my only issue is I don't know how you you build to it because Brett's coming across as this this do-goody world champ that's like yes you were screwed over but I'll give you a go and fuck the outsiders and fuck creative control and we'll, we'll take them all down and all very sort of rah rah good guy but then at the end of the month we've got that really weird six six man triple threat tag team cage match where Sid's involved and Benoit's involved and the outside is there. It's just, it's all so fucking muddy. There's no, there is no clear fucking direction of what the fuck is going on. And they've got to be quick too. That's part of the reason I decided to mention that here. We've only got two more weeks until Starcade, only two more editions of Nitro and Thunder. Because Starcade is taking place before Christmas this year, for I believe. Well, certainly the first time since it was in November. Uh, uh, December 19th, so not long to go to build anything, as I think you've alluded to there. Eric, what are we going to get? Man, I don't know if I were to book this match. The more that I think about it, based on Lacey's comments, like you need one of these guys to be a heel, and really it needs to be Goldberg. And, you know, Goldberg got booed in Toronto, but so did Austin. I don't think Goldberg's going to get booed, uh, you know, back in the good old US of A in front of yes, a, In the Washington, you know, D.C., I should say. It's a marked crowd, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a very friendly and forgiving old-school wrestling crowd in, in Washington, D.C. Um, so I don't think you can build this as you need to to have it be a compelling matchup where the crowd is invested in, in the outcome uh, because you're not going to have a good match between these guys. I don't think you can. I don't think Brett has that in him anymore. And I don't think Goldberg wants to deliver it. So uh, if you're not going to have a good match, you got to have a good story. I don't think they have enough time to have a good story. I think it's a bad matchup. I would have liked, you know, everybody wants the, everybody wants the big, big main event, uh, the, the one match card, Sting Hogan, that kind of thing. But I don't think they have that 
this year. I would have just built like three or four marquee matches. Brett Benoit three, Goldberg Sid. If Sid had picked up one of the wins to have that in the tiebreaker, and then unfortunately Sid versus or Sting versus Lex isn't the, probably the third storyline they've been building to. But like instead you have Brett versus Goldberg, which throws off a lot of the alignments for the other potential top matches you could have at Starcade. And so I think not only is it not their best storyline, not their best main event they could have, but it's going to throw a lot of other things into chaos as well. Factor that in with the short uh, period of time before the show is going to air. Yeah, I, I, I struggle to see how this is going to come together into anything memorable in a good way. Yeah, I don't necessarily have an issue with Brett versus Goldberg in a babyface match. And the view I'm going to put forward here is tempered slightly by the fact Goldberg has been getting a few more negative crowd reactions, as we've talked about. However, I am not sure I would want to put Brett in with another face at this point. I still think there's a fair bit of goodwill behind him, and so there should be after everything that's happened this year. I still think there's a danger of his pops being split. And if you are going to, again, keep him as the guy... I don't think you should put any further roadblocks in your way. Just give it a clear lane all the way through. Oh, isn't... No, I'm not going to say his name because I'm... <laughs> We're likely to ring a bell every time I say so. But maybe, not that it's really Starcade worthy, but Bret Hart against... Mm, you know who, I've mentioned him 20 times already, perhaps. I know they had a match on Nitro the day after Mayhem, which was okay. Perhaps there... Although, of course, you've got to look at it the other side of the coin. That would be a match I have to report on, so I would need to mention his name on more than one occasion. That's a problem. Otherwise, though, if you are going to have Brett defending the title on this show, and you really need to, where else can you go? We've pretty much written off Hall as a main eventer. Uh, I'm kind of glad that Nash hasn't stepped up, because I'm sure he'd be the company man and would be more than happy to do it, but not so. I don't think you can do Brett Sting again. Because A, you have to face the face bomb because they've done away with Sting's heel turn. And B, I don't think that's a compelling match. If I've, the two matches they've had against each other don't fill me with much optimism anyway. So you're pretty much left with Brett B. Goldberg. But as you say, they've only got two weeks to build it. They've been doing the whole thing where they're teaming up and they're still quite buddy-buddy. They're all beaten down by the outsiders and he who shall not be named at the end of the last Nitro. Uh, they've really got to go to get something. It's just a pure respect match. Yes, the kind of thing you do on a B-level pay-per-view. Uh, they've given themselves so little time to make this happen. It's probably all it's going to have to be. Unlike you, Eric, I'm a little more positive going in about the match quality. I think this is something at Starcade because we all have Starcade history. This is lack of it. This is going to be something he's really going to want to try to prove himself in. So I think if he gets the time and opportunity and few run-ins and not much interference in order to do so, he will do his damnedest to try to drag Goldberg to something in the upper level. Yes, Brett of 99 isn't the worker of Brett of 97, let alone 93, 94, 95. But I still think, I still think his heart is willing, despite what some commentators will think. I'm going into this match intrigued, but probably no real more than that. We don't know any else of the, uh, anything else from the card at this point. I'm sure there'll be lots of matches thrown in and it's going to be another bumper one. But stay with us and we will bring it to you to close out the year. Mm-hmm. 
Gentlemen, we are back in 2019, and it's not often I say this, but I've kind of missed it. Eric Landstrom, thank you for joining us. Man, I am exhausted after that. Uh, you're not the only one. I'm glad I've got a beer left. Eric, Man. plug away. Where can people find you and hopefully agree with you on pretty much everything you've said on this one, apart from the Evan Courageous match, because I quite liked it. Anyway, continue. Sure. You know, just check us out on, on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. I'm on Twitter, too, at Modern Day Lawyer. But uh, I don't have anything else to plug. Just follow us on all the social medias and whatnot. And uh, and uh, I think it's um, uh, it's a really good, really good follow, really good content. Uh, Rory really puts a lot of time and effort, and, and all the guys put a lot of time and effort into our social media. And nothing would uh, help us out more if you were to hop on your favorite podcatcher and uh, not only give us a five-star review, uh, but leave a comment, any comment. Uh, for whatever reason, these metrics on the podcatchers, especially iTunes, uh, reviews with comments get weighted a lot heavier uh, than those without. So if you like what you're hearing, hop on there, five stars, uh, and, and you know, give that little digital present under Rory's Christmas tree. The Christmas tree we put up today, or somebody put it up anyway. <laughs> Not me. And Chris, uh, back on WCW, thanks for joining us. Same time next month, yeah? Well, it's only because I've said I would. <laughs> it's, only, it's, only, it's only because I like the, like you enough to put myself for it, and I don't want to be around for 2000. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I'm not going to remember you saying that. Chris, while you're still with us, where can people find you? What else have you got going on? So, uh, Show and Tell Tunes is back into regular dropping of episodes, so if you want a musical playlist of joy. Go listen to Show and Tell Tunes as always on all your favourite podcatching devices. Um, you can follow me ranting about awful VAR decisions in football on Lacey555666. And uh, yeah, just listen to me on ECW because, you know, ECW is decent. I like this shit. <laughs> I'll be waiting for that. Uh, you'll be telling very few people to fuck off there, I imagine. Well, other than, you know, my level of hate of the baldies. <laughs> well said. Uh, Chris, what have we got to look forward to in the ECW show for November as you're here? What have we got? So, we have November to Remember, which is a, a decent pay-per-view. Um, we discuss the joys of the Baldies, uh, the return of the Sandman. Yes. And uh, the ever complicated relationship of Tommy Dreamer and Raven. Be sure to listen out for that one, everybody. And one more show I should say as well while I'm here for November 99, our WWF show. Uh, Chris White, Dan Welling and yours truly will be discussing that one. Austin getting run over and all of that. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook, Wrestling 20 Years. We're very easy to find there. Just key us in the search. You'll come across us. The perfect place to ask us any question you like about pro wrestling, or maybe not even about pro wrestling, but I prefer it if you did keep it about the former, for when we do our Q&A episode, which we'll be recording uh, probably in about in a couple of weeks after you hear this. We look to be putting it out uh, Christmas Eve, maybe even Christmas Day, a little extra thing, under your tree. So watch out for it. Drop us a question on there, and we will be sure to get to it. Uh, setting aside a good amount of time, a good couple of hours with myself and the two Chris's to talk about as much as we can, get in as many questions as we can. 
really break things down and gives you an opportunity to get to know us a bit well, really, because the one thing we don't really do on this podcast, which is people who talk about old wrestling from 20 years ago, you can really explore our wrestling fandom a bit. So you know, take the opportunity to pin us down, haha, if you can. Send us those questions. We'll get on them right away. Uh, I've already told you about the shows you've got for November uh, or December as well. Do look out for our end of year review show. I'm hoping that our current correspondents here will be joining us for that one. Chris Lacey will be making sure he is because he's got a certain somebody he'll be voting for in pretty much every category, Chris. Not every category. He's not getting to get that Wahoo. No, Wahoo, worst wrestler, things like that. Thought I'd drop that one in there, so listen out for that, everybody. Uh, And that is kind of it, except for you can hear me elsewhere now these days. I have another podcast commitment going on my friends at place to be nation uh, a brand new show there with my buddies callum mcdougall and ben lock uh, we are the special relations of place to be nation being based as we are here in the uk so do check that show out we introduce ourselves talk about our pre-wrestling fandom uh, we predict nxt takeover and survivor series so laugh listen along to that one see how wrong we got it and then we live watch what else but the full brawl 94 main event war games I didn't make that decision. I'm not in charge next month either. But do listen out for that on Place to Be Nation and check out their realm of great content as well. Uh, Thanks very much for sticking with us for this show. Save this one has gone long. Uh, When I play in all the audio, it's going to be quite close to three hours, which is why you will not be hearing the TV reports in this show. That's a conscious decision I've made. Uh, Doing a bit of a trial run on that one. I'll go into a bit more detail on that decision for the WCW and WWF shows. I will talk about that on the mailbag, but we've got loads of content for you every single time. Still going to watch everything we can. Always set aside hours every month to bring you the very best we can, because it might not feel like it after a show like this, but it really is a privilege to bring this stuff to you each and every month, and it is my honour to do so. We intend to continue doing so from now until the end of time and possibly beyond. But now all I have to do is thank for the last time Eric Landstrom. Thank you. To thank Chris Lacey. I turned into a Martian. <laughs> I'll just tell Chris Lacey to fuck off, give him a taste of his own medicine. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have been Rory McNamara, and as so often in life, I think it is wise now that we close by listening to the sage counsel of one David Flair Esquire. Make it stop! Make it stop!